Welcome specialists, coaches, dads of kickers, moms of punters, relatives of long snappers, and dogs that shag kickoffs to the Iceman Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cold questions and even cooler guests, and we're here to talk about the ins and outs of special teams and specialists. I'm your host, Brett Erkeling, and we've pulled all the strings, all right? We, we called the higher-ups to bring in this guest. I'm very excited here. We have Alan Tucker, who is a Mississippi State special teams uh, analyst there. Coach Tucker is from Demopolis, Alabama. He went to Mississippi State at Demopolis High School in 2011. After a playing career with Mississippi State, he began his coaching career at Valdosta State in 2016 with a team that went eight and three and a first round spot in the playoffs. Valdosta State, for those of you that don't know, is a very uh, illustrious dominant D2 program. After that, he became the defensive QC at the Citadel and then followed that up where he is currently the special teams analyst at Mississippi State. Teams coach Tuck, welcome to the show. I know you've had a crazy 72 hours of traveling and whatnot. Tell me a little bit about what you've been up to. What's going on, Brett, man? Heck of an intro. I didn't know some of those things that you said, so I'm pretty fired up. Wrote them down. Now I know a little bit more about myself. <laughs> yeah, man, 72 hours of travel. You know, we don't get this time back, so. While we got it, I'm trying to bounce around everywhere, but we're back in old Stark Vegas, ready to fire it up to do this uh, pot, you know, this little, not a podcast, this is a Zoom and a podcast, but we're just going to talk special teams. That's right, man. That's our love. So. Hey, we got a podcast. This will be on YouTube. Shoot, we'll even be on TikTok. Whoa. We're out there. Yeah, we're out there. We're really out there. Hey, uh, huh. you know what? And it's something I was thinking about too. Were you on that team that was number one in the nation, Mississippi State, with Dak Prescott? Oh, yeah, 2014, Orange Bolt, you, you done right. Yeah, we were number one for the uh, the very first ever uh, college football playoff rankings. The Mississippi State Bulldogs were top of that list. So we, we held that for five weeks. Uh, leading up into it, man, they thought we were going to run the table and uh, actually ended up, you know, finishing the season 10-2 and two and uh, took a big L in the Orange Bowl against a really good Georgia Tech team with that triple option, man. It was but man, I tell you what, there's there's so many things that I that a lot of people don't get to experience that, that I got to experience from that. And man, that was awesome. College game day, you know, all that. It was it was unforgettable. So I got plenty of pics and Snapchats, stories, all that kind of saved from it. But it was it was great. Uh, yeah, at that point I was a student coach, so I wasn't as cool, but I was still a part of it. Oh yeah, man. You and that's why we brought you on, man, because you got some great experiences and some great stories there. Hey, before we get into anything, we have to get into a word from our sponsors. Uh, this, this show is brought to you by The Kicker's Bible. The Kicker's Bible. Do you want to learn the ins and outs of kicking from NFL specialists? Organize practice schedules for in-season and the off-season so you don't overkick. How to get a full-ride scholarship offer. The perfect long-snapping technique for tossing a 6-5 ball on the hip every time. This book provides specialists with the ultimate guide containing everything necessary to find success as a specialist at the highest level. Brett Arkelling combined over 10 years of experience as a player and coach with countless hours of research to develop this handbook of the greatest collection of proven technique tips used by college and NFL specialists and coaches all in one place. The Kicker's Bible is a must have for both players and coaches at every level who want access to information essential to perform and teach at the best of their ability. Go to icemankicking.com to get your copy today. 
if we were last in the country returning punts, I might not be on the podcast. So shout out to the uh, R&B team. Hey, and everyone listening, man, y'all order my dog's book, man. Y'all stop playing with my guy, man. Iceman Kicking, go get the book, the Kicker's Bible. Order the thing. Support this young man. Like, All right. We have the Iceman Kicking podcast here, and we are, again, with Coach Alan Tucker. Coach Tuck, welcome to the cold seat. Okay, we're going to talk about your background real quick before we get into any of this. Uh, know that you got a twin and a, a younger sister. Talk to us about growing up and your passion for football. Where did this all start? Oh, yeah, man. Hey, well, it's a pleasure to be on real quick. Hey, guys, be looking for uh, kickers on your college campus to be handing out the New Testament of the Kickers Bible on your local quad. Uh, Old Testament will be dropping in the fall, so... Just be on the lookout for that. Now, I can't wait to get mine in the mail, man. I'm ready to read that thing. And and a guy that was only a snapper, you know, I depend on guys like you to be able to say words in a meeting and sound like I know what I'm talking about. So, fired up. Yeah, background. Let's go, man. Um, I got a twin sister named Maggie. She is actually two minutes older. So, I'm the baby of the family. And I got an older sister uh, named Claire and a mom. So, I was the only boy in the family. Not a great uh, start to sports for me. You know, I had a, a sister that was that played the clarinet, a twin sister that was really good at athletic training. So not a lot of things in my family told me to go the sports route. Started out in percussion, man. I was uh, in school band, pretty good at that. Got honor band, you know, riding that wave. Uh, and then I would say eighth grade, something told me, hey, man, I grew about five inches, Little League Baseball. I was just outgrowing it, too big for him out there, just dropping – bombs you know either striking out or hitting it over the fence so I said you know let's take my talents to the football field and see see what I can do um and I walked in the coach was like man you like quarterback and I was like no nah, I just want to play O-line so I can get on the team he's like don't be stupid man like you're you're 6'2 ish 185 like you're gonna play quarterback I'm like I no I really just want to make the team so I'll play tight end or whatever so that's how it all started and um in high school started to get a little larger and moved to the O-line. So played tackle, played a little tight end, um, little defense. And then one day, uh, my best friend, Taylor, we were in the backyard and we're like, hey, let's try to throw some balls between our legs. Like, why not try to long snap? There was an older kid on our team that was really good at it. He was a receiver. And uh, we were both looking for ways to get on the field. And so we started long snapping. And that's kind of how I fell in love with that part of it. Um, and ultimately, that's what got me to, to college. But um, I didn't really possess a love for football. I think I was just a bigger kid that saw that I can get to college and get an education through it. Um, and so junior year, got some small schools looking at me, you know, some South Owls, some Troy. Didn't even think I was that great at football, but I think I was just a body that, that was uh, enticing to some people. And then the long snapping is kind of what took it off. And so people – uh, were asking me, can I do that? And this was before camps, man. This was before Twitter. This was before camps. And so it was really just a college coach calling every now and then, like, hey, you play tight end tackle. You can snap too, huh? I'm like, yeah, I can throw that thing back there. And so there's no camps. It was really just, uh, well, cool. They took my word for it. And then, um, you know, that's ultimately got me to Mississippi State. And I uh, came there as a defensive end and a long snapper, never playing a single down of defense in high school. So it was it was pretty daunting coming into it. But snapping's what got me there. So I grew a major, major love for that. And, 
you know, you all, you've been in the specialist room. It's just a bunch of weirdos and a former band kid. I fit right in specialist. And so day one, I sat down a niche and knew what I was meant to do. And that was, that was to be around special teams. Hey man. And it's funny what you're saying about the camp stuff too, because I was just talking to our last guest, Matt Carrizosa, who's a Ray guy finalist. And we were talking about when we were coming up too. it's like, there's camps out there for specialists. Like right. no one had ever heard of that. You go on YouTube. That's how I learned. I went on YouTube and I was just how to kick, you know, how to, <laughs> how to punt. But it's like, yeah, there was, uh, we found out, we found like one camp and you know, nowadays there's this whole culture of, I mean, they're all on Twitter. They can, you know, they go to these camps together. I think it's really cool for specialists. And I wish there was something like that for us when we were going through that. 100%. And for coaches, it makes their job a whole lot easier. I know for me and, and you as well, like having all those guys in a group together and kind of see them compete against each other one-on-one, -on -one, you're able to see who's got it and who doesn't. I don't know how they did it before, you know, that day and age when me and you were coming up into it. I mean, they just, like, I guess they just called people, hey, can you snap? Can you kick? You know, I'm sure they would show up and watch you kick. Uh, that's probably how it was done back in the day. Show up to your college, I mean, your high school campus, tell you to go put some balls in there. Yeah, exactly. Well, the other thing I like that you said, too, is is sometimes it's not the most talented guys. And I'm not speaking on you personally. I'm talking about myself. I mean, it's like it's not the guy that's out there crushing every time that wins the spot. It's really if you hang around enough, you know, or if you're yeah. around that enough. Personally, for me, I was a kicker all throughout high school. I get to JUCO and I get an offer from a Division two school because they said, we saw you punt one time at a camp. I said, well, I'm I'm not a punter. I'm a kicker. I said, well, no, you'll do all three, you know, yeah, and then same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all the same. And yeah. then eventually I, you know, take that and that becomes my main thing transfer to a division one school. It's much like you and, you know, where I was a punter, much like you, it's like, you know, you were just an offensive lineman, you know, or but you made that trend, you know, you were snapping too, but that's what gets you to that next level. So that's huge. Yeah. For you guys. I had no idea. Now that's like why they do it is, Hey, th this is the reason you're going to be able to go to college is, is kicking balls, punting them, and snapping them. And to me, that was never, ever brought to me coming up in, in high school. But now it's the way to go. That's pretty cool, man. All right, so let me talk to you a little bit about um, the story of how I met you because I thought it was, it was, to me, it was super cool, man. It's such a good time. Um, <laughs> I did know PB before, actually. Paul was a. Uh, long snapper he was trying to you know he was he was buddies with my friend Bobby Daggett who had snapped at Ole Miss uh, and then came to UT Martin where I was at so that's how I knew him. but uh, every spring when I was coaching high school ball I was like you know I need to go out and talk with these coaches and Mississippi State was definitely one of the main schools that I wanted to go talk to so I believe I hit you up via Twitter and I came yeah. down to Starkville one time this is 2018 I think yeah in the spring of 2018 oh yeah and yeah. uh yeah I remember you're like you know go ahead just wait in the football building so I'm sitting there you know and I mean it's nice man you guys got the marble floors and everything the secretary there I'm sitting there eye to eye with the egg bowl kind of just waiting for a minute and then you you know they said uh oh he'll be out in a second you come out said, sorry man we've been having this long specialist special teams meeting come on up here so I'll oh, call yeah. you down this long hallway uh and I get into this, the way I describe it is like a godfather-like table, all right? You got this long, skinny room. Uh, it looked like a mini movie theater. And a godfather-like table. And you're sitting there at the helm, right, Coach Shire? Oh, yeah. there. And, uh, and there's the most specialist I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there's oh, 15. I think we had 13. 
Yeah, there's like, that. like yeah. 13 or 15 specialists all sitting there staring at me, you know, and uh, I expect to just sit down in the back and, you know, kind of just watch everything that was going on. But, you know, you said, you know, come on in, introduce yourself. So kind of got up. I'm like, what's up, guys? You know, in front of all 35 specialists you guys got in there. And I'm like, what's up, guys? Coach R. Kelly, nice to meet you. Sit back down. Right. Yeah. And then again, you're like, hey, man, aren't you in charge of Iceman kicking? I'm like, yeah, Iceman kicking too. And all 55 of your specialists nod back to me. But it was really cool because, you know, you took the time out of your day to introduce you know, me, who's a nobody. And I really appreciated, you know, a high school coach, you know, that you could have just said, all right, sit down and, and, and just watch what we do here. And you had yeah. some great personalities in there too. I mean, oh, uh, boy. Paul and, you know, Tucker Day and Jace Christman was your, were your guys starters and Cody, mm -hmm. uh, who I actually ended up talking to for a while there. He's now at Austin P. Uh, all 105 specialists you guys had in there. Yeah. But I really, oh, wow. I really appreciated how you guys made me feel at home no at down there. Well, you're a specialist, man. You're you're part of that that uh, cult, I would I would call it almost. But uh, yeah, man, I, I'm a guy. I'm I'm super humble as far as I don't know everything at all. And I've been that guy sitting. You know, my first year coaching, I'm in Valdosta, and we go Clint. We go to clinic with South Florida because the guy I was working for played there. And you know, they just shoved me in the back of the D line room. I try to ask the guy a question and nothing against him. He's, he's so used to that process of, Hey, this coach is visiting from wherever he's going to sit in your meeting that I'm like, Hey, I want what boom, just hands me a CD and just say, Hey, it's all in there. And I'm like, okay, which I, you know, it's just part of it, man. A lot of guys and that guy's probably been coaching for 30 years at that point. So he's done that every year. Um, and so, I mean, I've been that guy. I would want somebody to introduce me and maybe not that because I'm not very good in front of crowds or, or whatever but like just show you know show that I'm there I'm not just in the back and talk to me and actually learn a little bit about me and and um yeah so I guess just being in that position before just mutual respect for another coach and uh yeah man that room is is anybody can walk in there and they're gonna be part of it so you're part of our room forever and you know more than I do with kicking and punting and kickoffs and all that so I'm glad to let you have the floor. Well, I wouldn't say all that, but the one thing I did appreciate was how personable you really were. It talked to me a little bit while we're on the subject of, of your specialist room here. Uh, the fourth down dogs for oh, yeah. that don't know about the uh, <laughs> Twitter, the fourth down dog. Tell me a little bit or tell them a little bit what the fourth down dogs are all about. All right. Uh, handle fourth down dogs, what it is. You know, you got a lot of receiver rooms, DB rooms. You know, they call themselves like, like the School of North or their NWO. Uh, you know, they got their own persona. Um, you know, you got LSU's DBU. You got all these people that have like their niche, their thing, their their persona. And so I was like, you know what, guys, why not make our own? All right. And we'll come up with a cool name, but let's just make our own trademark so that we can be out there. We can tweet. Because as you know, it's kind of a, um, a rat race with specialist accounts right now on Twitter is who can be the funniest, who can be the most creative. And so we came up with fourth down dogs. Uh, obviously we do more than fourth downs, you know, there's kickoffs, there's, um, I'm sure I'm missing something there. Anyway, but you got it. So we came up with fourth down dogs and I said, look, if we do this, we got to go all in. We got to have some funny posts. We got to have some content and you can't miss kicks and you can't punt badly and we can't have any bad snaps. As soon as we do, this thing's coming right back in our face. And so, uh, they did a fantastic job of getting material, 
I controlled the password and I gave it to Jace, who then gave it to one other person. Uh, so it wasn't like everybody could post. We made sure everything ran through me. Hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. You know, the full house intro that we did. I wanted to see everything and that was great, but they're so creative and there's so many people in that room. There was a lot of good ideas bouncing around. And so uh, ended up being really good for us. I think we stayed away from controversial posts. And I think we posted just enough that uh, if we missed a kick, you know, it didn't come back to, to haunt us to where, oh, if you guys weren't making videos, you'd be making more kicks. I think we did a fan. You know, Jace kind of led the whole thing. I think he did a great job of, of uh, keeping the, the fans waiting. You know, he didn't want to post daily. It wanted to be really good. And then we started including, like, scout team player of the, of the day, like things like that. So it wasn't just a specialist account. But, yeah, we got a sweet logo. You know, we got the, the fourth down marker made into a, a cowbell. It was pretty sweet. But I want to keep that going. I think it's something unique that we have above other specialist groups out there and something we can always kind of tweet out and uh, hang our hat on, you know, fourth down dogs. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a big D-line guy, big defense guy. I talk about mentality, that dog mentality of, of keeping your head down, doing the work, uh, fighting to the last second. Like, specials, you can do that too. I know we're a lot more, uh, you know, it's more of a finesse movement. It's, uh, it's one chance, you know, but, but we also got to kind of have that killer mentality uh, of going out there and dominating. But, yes, yeah, fourth down dogs. We're going to keep tweeting. We gotta, we've been off the wagon for a little bit, but we got to get back to it. No, no, I, I think you hit on the head with it's, it's, yeah, maybe it's not as much as a physical thing, but it is that mentality, right? And that mentality yeah. of just being uh, tougher than anyone else. I mean, to me, and this is spinning off a little bit, but whenever I got bad weather situations or adverse situations, I thought I had the advantage because I had yeah. that mentality, right? And that mentality that nothing's going to affect me, whereas other specialists, it may. And that's what you guys are all about. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, also, too, I thought you guys were the OG uh, of, this, of the specialist account. I know there are a lot of imposters, but there's only one fourth down dog. So that's right. So that's going to live forever. And, and actually, funny story, that the whole – the person that started it originally was either Baker Swedenberg or uh, Devin Bell. One of those two guys way back in 2013, 2012-ish created a Twitter account, uh, and it was just some funny stuff. But, you know – Humble Beginnings, I think, had like 300 followers. And now it may even been the same account that we just changed the name and all that. But now it's grown to, to a pretty big following. Uh, so we, we got to get that thing back rolling. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. man. It's, look, it's a recruiting tool, right? It shows how close yeah. you guys are and how big of a family you guys are. No doubt. All, okay. Even though it's, you know, 67 of us. So. <laughs> all 95. Um, yeah. you're, talk to me a little bit now. I want to talk more about you. Tell me about your coaching influences and philosophy. We we're just talking about earlier. You've been around some awesome people, man. Tell oh, me yeah. about who has influenced, you know, what you believe in your special teams mentality. Yeah. Um, well, you know, writing out my answers here, I broke it down into three separate categories. So you got, uh, you know, who coaches that have influenced me as a person. So what, what wakes me up, what, what makes me want to coach would have to be, I think everybody can go back to this. My high school head coach, Tom Causey. And I mean, he was a father figure to me, a guy that I, didn't, I grew up without a father. And so I, I bounce around, you know, I'd stick on to people like, like father figures and try to find one. And so this guy, man, he taught me everything that I believe in, everything that, that 
when times get tough where I go to, this guy did everything for me. And well, to this day, you know, you know, kick me in the nuts if I try to talk good about him. But, but he's a guy that as a coach, you know, why, why I started, why I want to do it, you know, what wakes me up kind of my competitive um, drive is all from him. And then um, I think uh, a guy on staff named Tony Hughes, me as a person, I think your faith kind of drives you. And so Tony Hughes was a guy that recruited me out of high school. He was at Mississippi State. And then now he's, he's actually back on staff. And uh, he's a guy that uh, he, he, everything he does is, is based on a divine power and, and his faith and what, what he can do for other people. And so he impacted me a lot because I just didn't see that in the coaching profession. You don't see a guy that should be a preacher that's also coaching. Like this guy, um, man, he is, uh, he is doing the Lord's work for sure. And everything boils down to uh, faith to him. And, you know, what's the big reason why you're doing stuff and, and being thankful for being given the opportunities that the Lord gives you to, to be where you are. Um, another person, sorry, man, I got a bunch, but uh, as a person, I think Tony Dungy is a, a good one. You know, I read a lot of his books, a lot of his philosophies, why I want to coach because I can impact people and use the platform to spread the word of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's the only reason I'm here is because there's some, somebody watching over me and because I have a purpose. And, uh, you know, Tony Dungy preaches that. And then I got one more, you know, person that, you know, who I am is Joey Jones, guy I work for uh, in Mississippi State 2018, 2019. He is, uh, he, he had a lot more, a lot of similarities to me growing up, you know, why he got into football um, and why he does it. So he's a guy that I continuously call, even though I don't work for him anymore, but I'm going to go back to it. Um, I call him all the time asking for advice. You know, if I'm in a situation or if somebody says something to me, hey, how, how would you react to this? Uh, and then as a coach, you know, uh, influences are, Paul Bear Bryant, you know, I grew up in Tuscaloosa for a part of my life, and obviously he's, he's enshrined over there. But reading a lot of his books, man, as a coach, he's kind of who I want to be. You know, everybody says do the little things, but you read his books and see some of the stuff he did. It is, it is ridiculous, the amount of pressure and uh, responsibilities he put on players and, and ended up, you know, putting them in good situations because of how he challenged them. Uh, another coach that – you know, I like to model myself after is Nick Saban. Um, never met him, but read a lot of his books. Mad respect for the guy at Alabama to see what they do. Um, when you see something like that, you know, they're, they're a dynasty. There's no question about it. Obviously, he's doing something right. So I try to take him here and there where there's video clips, seeing stuff on the field. Um, a lot of his philosophies, man, for special teams, I respect. And so he's a guy I hope to be like one of these days. Uh, and then one more. I just want to add this in there. My coaching skills, all right? So influences of why I am where I'm at are strictly because of James Milano, who taught me everything there is to know on Visio and PowerPoint, all right, and told me, Alan, you're not going to get far if you can't finesse on PowerPoint and Visio and, and look, have the sweetest stuff out there. So he's a guy, he got me into coaching. He's a mentor of mine. He freaking drilled it into me day one. Look, you got to be a good coach, but Alan, if you want to get to the position – to where you can be a good coach, you gotta catch people's eye with your PowerPoints and your video and your playbook stuff. And then uh, lastly, Chris Bonio, who is a Excel wizard. He is now at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their special specialist coach. 
um, he put me he put me uh, in a good spot, man. As far as how to chart kickers, how to chart punters, how to chart snappers, and he did exactly what he did in the NFL when he was at Mississippi State with me in 2018, and he got me pretty sweet on that Excel and that Vizio. So I had to throw that out there, man, because that gets overlooked sometimes. Guys have taught you the nitty gritty stuff. Oh man, it's so overlooked, and I I mean I think a couple of things like. I do love the reading part that you were talking about. I know, you know, don't want to go too far back, but you, you were saying, you know, you read this guy's work and that guy's work. That is so important is to always be striving to do better and learn more, you know, and it comes yeah. from reading people's, you know, their work and, and and what you said about that. Also, yes, one thing I'm realizing as a new coach coming up is like, same thing, Excel, Visio. That stuff is so important, man. You don't, it you don't realize it until you get into it. Until right? it's too late sometimes, too, yeah. Yeah, and that's – yeah, that's awesome, man. So, I'm glad you listed all those people because there's – Dude, are- I, I, there's just so many. And it's it goes back to the whole, uh, you know, growing up without a dad. It's like you stick on to these male figures, these coaching figures, these father figures that that teach you things. And so – I'm a, I'm a sponge and it's kind of annoying. Like every person I come in, all eight of those guys I just mentioned, I've never met, you know, five or six of them, but all these guys, like I'm trying to take things from them and every call, it gets so annoying that I talk to a special teams coordinator or an analyst or a GA. I always ask like, Hey, what are you doing for philosophy? What are you doing for your fault? And I just want to know, like, I don't know. I, I don't have any family members that were coaches. I don't, I don't have anybody that was like, hey, you need to be a coach. Like, I just kind of got into it by accident. And now I'm trying to figure it out and do the best. And so, until I can meet Saban and Dungy, you know, I'm just going to read about it, you know. Man, I love that. And also, you know, it's something I think that's been very important in your life, too, um, you know, is is your faith and and dealing with loss. You know, I think those kind of go together. And I'll let you talk on it. But, you know, you've faced adversity in, li- in your life and, you know, talking about the loss of your dad and, and then the heart condition you're going through last year. Can you talk a little bit about that and what helped you face that adversity and what helped you get over or get through stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a, a really good quote out there. It's uh, adversity introduces a man to himself. And so really like if you put it into my and your terms, like our age, it's like, I mean, you don't know who you are until you're really put in the fire. Like, until you're challenged, like you don't know what kind of guy you are. And, and um, you know, I had to stop playing football. Only thing I ever knew, like only reason I went to Mississippi State was to play football. Nah, I was not a scholarship guy. I was preferred walk-on. But, but I was that guy that was going to, you know, work tirelessly until I became a guy that had a role in that team of some sort. And so uh, I didn't have any plans, man. It was just ball. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, freshman year, midway um, – I got told I couldn't play football anymore due to a heart condition that they were that they discovered um, while doing a checkup. I had some issues during a practice, and and so that we went to UAB, got some tests done, and sure enough, you know, they found that I had the same condition that my father passed away from, and it was kind of progressing into the same exact reason that he passed away. And so I had no clue that I had this condition, that I had those symptoms, like why I was having the symptoms I was having. Thought I was just getting tired and so you know there's a reason for everything but um, yeah I faced adversity really quickly man I'm at a school that I only came to to play football so I turn around you know we're, it's October and, and I don't know what to do like I don't play football anymore um, and thankfully man the staff was like hey 
you know, we understand this is a family, like these are your brothers. So if you want to stick around, you don't have to do anything for us. Um, you're more than welcome. Like, okay, come sit in meetings, come eat with us. And that, that was coach Mullen. I, I thank him a ton. And Chris Wilson was my D line coach. And he, he was like, look, man, I, I can't imagine what you're going through. Keep coming around, you know, maybe we can help you in some way. And then that ultimately led to me coaching as a student coach, worked with the D line just cause that's what I knew. And then uh, probably junior year, started helping the special teams more and more. And that's when I really, really fell in love with it. Um, just cause I love that room, love those guys. Uh, so that was some adversity I faced very quickly. Didn't exactly know how to handle adversity at that point. A lot of things are going well for me. Um, and like kind of, man, I guess not knowing made it good for me. You know, when something bad happens, you just got to knock it off and, and keep going until something good happens. And so um, that was, I found out a lot about myself very quickly, man. Was, am I either going to sit back and learn how to longboard or freaking, you know, get deep into my engineering studies or am I going to stick around football and, and see, Hey man, I love this sport. Like why not just stick around and see if there's something else I can do with it. And sure enough, man, I stuck around and, and uh, ended up being great for me and gave me a passion and gave me a direction to go after I graduated. A lot of people don't know what they want to do, man. A whole lot of people I'm finding out my age that are changing jobs right now that are looking for other things to get fulfillment. And me and you, man, we've, we've already found out what we want to do, our passion. And so, yeah, going back to last year's deal. So I've monitored this thing. I've done a good job, changed my diet. You know, for five years, been exercising the way they told me to. You know, I can't pound weights anymore, but I was doing things, you know, uh, staying active. And then last, uh, I'd say we were January 2019, um, went for another checkup, just a routine one. And they did the measurements, did my echocardiogram, all that cool stuff and said, look, man, we've monitored this for long enough. Like it's, it's gotten to a point where, where we don't know if, if you're going to, you know, wake up the next day because this thing's, my valve is so big. So you got to figure out a time to get this fixed. And I'm like, fix, what does that mean? Like, we're going to have to go in there and, and you know, I'll save you all the, <laughs> the, the description, but they're going to have to go in there and get it fixed. And so, uh, man, my, my world was kind of, kind of shifted, but I think facing that adversity when I was a, a freshman kind of helped me out with that. And, um, football, man, it, it teaches you life lessons. Like you fall down, you get up. Um, you know, the, the guy that works the hardest is going to come out on top. And, um, you know, you're going to have to face those sudden changes and it's how you react to those. They either get you beat by 40 or, or let you come back and win. So, uh, yeah, found that out. Um, tried to say, hey, is there any, any way we can get around this? And they're like, not unless, you know, you want to quit your job and, and kind of – Kind of, kind of, you know, sit around your house for six months with Mount Mantra, this thing again. So I said, no, nah, that's, that's not going to be it, Hoss. And so uh, we decided in May to get this thing fixed. I talked to Coach Moorhead, and he was incredible, man. He's out. Like, stop. Why are you even asking me if this is okay? Like, go handle your business. Um, don't worry about spring ball. And I said, look, I need spring ball. Like, I need, I need to, uh, you know, have football around me, keep my mind off things. And so he was like, yes. You know, do what you got to do, coach from a golf cart, you know, coach from the tower, do whatever you can. I told my specialists, um, you know, told Coach Jones, and everybody was just, they rallied around me, uh, helped me stay positive through it all. And man, I didn't even think about it. Didn't think about it until probably uh, May 1st on my birthday. And then May 3rd, they had the surgery. So, so got open heart surgery in May. Um, didn't know what was going to happen after that. And I was optimistic. 
you know, Coach Coach Moorhead saved my spot. I'll be back in June. Uh, he laughed, you know, and, but I was serious. I'm like, look, man, I don't know how long this is going to take to get bounced back, but but I'm going to coach next next year. And he was all for it. He's like, look, we'll do whatever we can for you. And, uh, yeah, had the surgery in May. Three months later, man, I was running back on the practice field. It was it was incredible. And so um, I'll save you all the – you know, again, save you all the, the nasty stuff that went on, but but it's a mental battle. Every day I had to wake up, not being able to walk, not being able to to do everything, anything but sit there and eat really and breathe. And even breathing, man, you had to had to learn how to do it again, had to get strong enough to where I could sit up, man. It's some crazy stuff you go through, but it's a mental war every day. You gotta get up and you gotta do a little more than you did the day before, all right? So there was no answer to me. And the 27-year-old having open heart surgery, like there is no blueprint. I called a bunch of people trying to get some advice. Only people I could get answered from were in their 60s, 70s. And so, uh, you know, I was able to, to kind of do it on my own. Uh, wrote a lot of stuff down about mentality. And, and man, it, it has put me above a lot of people, I think, having to go through what I did. Uh, just a you know mental battle, just you and yourself, man. It's the mind is a is a is a battlefield, and uh, I was able to come out on top a lot of those days, and, and got to where I could get back on the field in three months for day one of fall camp. So I was very fortunate, but man, yeah, that adversity that I faced, there's not a lot people can do to me that's going to shake me now. And so uh, going through it, man, I think football is not near as as uh, I don't want to say important that's not the right word but I definitely kind of see what's important and what's not and so being able to keep coaching is an absolute blessing and definitely open heart surgery has given me an advantage over a whole lot of coaches out there you know when things get bad they're not all that bad and so always got to find a way if that you know there are certain days and I hate to keep talking about this but I got I'm, I'm writing a book too man about this whole thing I got some great stuff but but one day I wake up I can't eat all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drink as many bottles of water as I can. I'm gonna beat. I wrote down, man. I had the steps the day before, the amount of water I drank, the amount of food I ate, calories I burned, and I was keeping a log, you know, and I had to beat myself every single day. If I couldn't walk that day, shoot, mom, give me the two pound dumbbells. I'm gonna do, you know, a hundred curls that day. Like there were certain things. If you couldn't do something, then I had to, you know, find a way to compete in another way. And so, man, it was great. It was. All good things from that surgery, for sure. Wow. And what's the status now? Where, where are you at now? Okay, so I had a, a checkup, a final, uh, I guess, year in review from the surgeon, from another couple of experts, and I'm ready to roll, man. I'm, I'm, everything is – all systems are go. Uh, the whole purpose of that year review was to see how the stress levels I went through last season, the, uh, you know, physical – I guess, uh, toll that I took from coaching, uh, how it would affect everything. Um, everything checked out, man. All the tests were great. Guy said I looked like I'm in great shape, which is positive because I came in a little heavy. But, uh, you know, everything checked out. They said, look, man, you're going to keep coaching as long as, as long as you want to. Um, and, and I'm, you know, happy. So all systems are go. Man, I'm so happy to hear that. Now, personally, you know, I've, definitely been through some hard times you know nothing compared to that um, but that's what I love about this profession and, and that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast is talking to people who have dealt with uh, you know situations way harder than me I mean to me that is so inspirational man and I love 
hearing your story, um, you're 100% right. You have an advantage over everyone else, you know, because of what you've fought through before. I, to, but to me, it's great to hear that story because it inspires me to do more and do better. Yeah. And uh, man, I can't, I can't wait to uh, hear when your book drops, man, because I'm gonna be all yeah, over. yeah. You know, it was a lot of uh, you know that I was able to read at Craftsman. So that's all I could do. But um, read a lot and watched every single. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, I looked, scoured the web, bro. Every special teams, you know, talk, philosophy, drill work, everything was watched. Promise you that. Took notes on it. And so uh, it was awesome, man. I read everything, watched everything. And then, you know, going back to it, I missed this. One of the things I love about it is now as a coach, I can kind of present to players like, well, do you think this is bad? Like, and not that I, I hate talking about myself more than anybody, but like, dude, this could be a lot worse. Like you getting to run on that field and play football is a, is a blessing. And how dare you ever take it for granted and not want to go out there and play because – you know, a guy that got it taken from him and then almost had coaching taken from him, almost had his life, life taken from him. It's, you really have a better outlook on, on life. And so I can kind of hold things above their head as bad as that sounds now, but yeah. No, but yeah, you're a hundred percent right in that, in that thinking too. And it, if you were my coach, I would be inspired to do better, man. So that, that's so all. Awesome. That's all I want to do is when you see me think of a big old scar and just say, all right, I'm gonna go punt the crap out of the ball. Now. Like, <laughs> you know, Take, don't take any reps for granted, for sure, is what hey, I tell them. Tell me, too. I, I mean, I know this is a special teams uh, podcast, but, man, I love talking about philosophy and I love talking about motivation, all that stuff. Uh, is there something you do mentally now or something you, you train yourself in to keep your stress levels down? For example, I meditate. Uh, I'll yeah. try to meditate at night. Is there anything you do or any mental techniques you do to keep yourself, you know, pretty calm? Yeah, uh, well, there's some medical techniques for sure. Now, they uh, prescribe me a few. Uh, it's a beta blocker. And so that, I'm telling you, over everything, that helps with stress levels. But um, definitely, definitely waking up earlier so I can kind of, I don't know, like it's, it's better to see what's ahead that day instead of kind of being, boom, here's a text, like got to have this done. So I kind of like to be awake earlier. And that's what I tell my players to just be awake so that you're not surprised by stuff be awake and uh, at least you, your mind's ready to take things on. You're not waking up with something that you got to do. Um, but meditation is huge for me, man. Um, I need to do a better job of it. Probably need to ask you for some techniques, but all I do right now is I just try to sit. I don't have any like special Indian style sitting or like how I hold my hands, but like 15 minutes usually what I go with and just kind of reflection and uh, calmness. A lot of times I'll throw some music on there, some, Easy listening, you know, a lot of times it's some gospel, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, Disney playlists, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. Things that put me in a happy place, almost like Happy Gilmore, you know, go to your happy place. But uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's weird. It's like my brain was, was like rewired. If adversity hits me now and I'm kind of like, all right, like there is no, and there's no like crazy increase in mental awareness. I'm just like, sure. Like it's, to me, it's just the next step. You know, it's not like it's not like a crazy adversity you know, taking me by surprise. So I don't know what it was, but uh, meditation is definitely, yeah, going back to it. Sure. Well, I think some people can take that as, you know, why me or why now or why this? But, I mean, this is your superpower, man. I mean, you're, you know, yeah. like you said, there's, there's nothing you can face that will ever fluster you again. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really cool. And now, I don't want people trying me out there. I don't want people faking punts and – 
onside kicking me in the future, but <laughs> trying to yeah. stress you. No, nah, yeah. yeah, I'd call it a superpower for sure. It's good and bad because a lot of times they're like, what, why are you not like, why are you not freaking out right now? I'm like, well, nothing I can do in the moment, you know, like Jay's missing a couple kicks of practice or something. Like, well, it's not my leg out there. You know, I'll do what I can with the film and we'll go on the turf field here and make sure it's fixed, but I can't do nothing right now. And to me, that's what makes a great specialist coach too, man. These guys see, you know, especially for specialists, right, where it's all about confidence and it's all about being level-headed. You got football players, you know, naturally are going to get hyped, pumped up before games. Man, I was trying to be as cool, calm, and collected. We run on the field and we want to keep a slow pace because we don't want to get ourselves, you know, heart beating fast. And I see a coach that is cool, calm, and collected after I miss a kick. I'm going to respond to that a lot better than someone who's throwing their hat or shaking their head. It's something yeah, I no, that's, that's really good to hear. It's yeah. really good to hear. Because Jace, I feel like his first year, he was maybe used to that. And so every time he'd miss, which wasn't a lot, Jace is a great kicker if he's listening, but um, he would turn back and, like, be expecting me to blow up or something. And every time I'm not even looking at him, I'm looking at, you know, where the next spot is. I'm making sure our freaking equipment guys got the next ball. But, I think, man, there's a huge difference from year one, 2018 to year two. And, and I think that was part of it. Just give it like, I had, I mean, I knew he was going to make the next kick. So it's like, you know, as a kicker, did that help you out at all? Like not, I don't know. Did you think your coach had confidence in you most uh, of the time? In the start of my career, no, not at all. Okay. And that's, yeah. and, and that's, that was definitely tough for me. You know, I went to division two school and it was a totally different uh, you know, on the other side of the coast, it was at HBCU, yeah. so it was a little bit of a big adjustment for me. Yeah, uh, we had some great coaches, but as far uh, you know, as a they did, they weren't the most um, kicker friendly or specialist friendly. One hundred percent. Yeah, uh, and and there's different ways of motivating everyone, um, but I think it takes and it took me going through that situation to learn. All right, here's the right way to deal with the specialist, and here's. You know, not right. I ended up transferring to a FCS program, and yeah, yeah, I felt very confident, and I felt like my coaches had the utmost com- confidence in me. But like those actions, I think are very reassuring, especially for a young kicker. I mean, oh yeah, to me, my job is let's pump this kid's head up, or you know, let's make mm-hmm. sure he's confident because when he gets in there, you know, there's always little things that are going to try to distract him or tear him down. But yeah. if I can be a, a voice of confidence to him, that's going to aid him. So, One less thing he's got to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's kind of what uh, Randy Brown, uh, the Ravens special teams coach said about on, on the fourth down podcast with uh, Brian Jackson, who's, I yeah. know about him. He's great podcast. Um, but it's really like, I'm there to, you know, be the one who's doing the thinking as far as where we're going to place punts. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and just overall be a source of confidence for my specialists and back, yeah. you know, so. That's really good. All right. Well, now we're getting specialists anyway. Let's talk about uh, special teams in general. Yeah. You know, some people, and of course, in the SEC, you know, they understand it's a big deal. And a lot of places I've been at too, you know, it's a big deal. But some coaches have a older perspective of how they look at special teams where it's kind of just that thing on the side that you do, you know. Uh, yeah. Tell me what, why is special teams important and why is coaching long snappers so important to having a great team oh yeah uh well i'd say there's 800 ish college football programs out there right from d1 all the way to juco naia uh 
so that many head coaches, I guarantee you, you ask them, is special teams important? They're going to say, oh, it's, it's priority. It's most important. They're going to say it. It's everywhere. Every coach you ask. But you know for a fact, there's way – I mean, action over words, man. There's You can tell when it actually means something to somebody um, instead of just saying it because it, it looks good to say it. But, you know, when when something happens in a game and then they blow up on you, uh, you know, hey, you aren't part of the game. But whatever, like, you can kind of see how important it is to them um, when they only care about it in the game day kind of thing. Uh, and it's – man, it's – I've been around some coaches that really actually do – believe how important it is and incorporate it in their culture. And that's what I'm leading to. So to me, special teams is the most important aspect of a football team and a head coach to me, strictly because it identifies your team and it, it tells people what your team's culture is. All right. And whether or not it gets brought up or not, as a guy that watches the tape, when I watch in Alabama, you know, I can see, they're driven by that special teams culture where it's – I've been heard, you know, maybe it's all bull crap, but you don't play on offense and defense until you play on special teams. I can see that because I see killers out there. I see people that have a freaking, you know, an actual joy running down on kickoff and, and purpose. And you look at teams like Kansas State and that team, they actually – that is their culture. They are a special teams-driven team. You know, and, and I think, uh, you know, that was probably a bold statement, what I just said. But to me, it's it's extremely important because it does identify who you are as a team. All right. And, um, you know, it goes back to, to effort. To me, special teams is strictly an effort play. I can have all the scheme dialed up in the world. Uh, whoever wants it more is going to win the rep. And I've seen it. I'm, maybe I'm a young guy and haven't watched that much tape. I've been around it a while. And I can say, you know, from a student assistant to where I am now, you can tell who wants it and who doesn't. And that guy typically is going to win the rep. And, man, it's an effort play all in all. And so, uh, yeah, to me that, that uh, you know, and one more thing about it. To me it's it's almost – it's one-third of the game, right? It's one-third of um, – okay, going back. It's one-third of the game. So, to me, and maybe I'm thinking too simple here, if we win our special teams phase every game, that means – Offensive and defense, just one of those two got to have – got to be on their game that day, all right? And then it's like a vote incentive, right? Two-thirds majority, you're going to win the game. Now, I know there's a lot more factors, but in my opinion, like, if we take care of special teams phase, we win our phase of the game, and offense wins their phase of the game, defense just has a rough day, we're going to win that game. Same thing. Special teams wins, defense plays lights out, offense is having some trouble, we're going to win that game. So, to me, it's like – it's that simple – um, and that's up to the coordinator and the players to win that special teams phase. But to me, it's the easiest phase to win, um, strictly because a guy like me who is just absolutely ridiculously in love with special teams, and that's all I want to do. Obviously, I'll coach some other stuff, but special teams is why I got into coaching. It's something I'm going to do until I'm out of coaching, whether I'm a you know, DFO or a corners coach or – a recruiting coordinator. I'm going to be involved in special teams. And uh, I don't know, to me, I, just, I can just see there's such an advantage to it. Um, so that's kind of, kind of, I guess, my, my philosophy on it. I love that, man. And you know what? The, the cool thing that I liked about it, too, is uh, the way you broke it down, the two-thirds thing. I, yeah, I always, I, I've been heard to say this a lot, but 
uh, Coach Soprato, who is at Arkansas, and he's mm-hmm. at uh, South Florida now. South Florida now, yeah. Yeah. He said 49%. 49% of the yardage in a game is determined by special teams with your punts and your kickoffs. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this game is such a, you know, a battle of, of field position and yardage. So why wouldn't yeah. you put so much effort? 100% for me, too. When I watch the film, I put on the tape, you know, you can tell when a team cares about their special teams units, you know. And yeah. that normally dictates how well they perform uh, in a game, too. So, sure. man, that's you're you're right on the mark with that. I agree. Yeah, and if, if we get more into it, like I, I'm just like him, I love stats. So I got all the stats for percentage of plays, you know, on special teams a year compared to a defensive player. You know, like the importance of that play, the yardage of each play. You know, people put that on their first day slide. Like average special teams play is forty-two point six yards or whatever. Yeah, you, it's a whole freaking field length every play, um, but. Um, yeah, it comes down to that culture of getting guys excited. Um, I personally, and if you know, if I do get a chance to be a coordinator one day, I'm going to ask that head coach about playing starters and special teams because every year I do a study of the SEC just because I'm in it, but I'll probably keep doing the SEC. Uh, their offensive, defensive starter numbers on special teams, right? So um, in 2018, Alabama had 11, Texas A&M had 12, we had six. Uh, A&M and Alabama were the top two special teams units, I believe, in efficiency or one of those ranking systems. Um, and it correlated directly, right? You have more starters on special teams, you're going to be better at special teams. And so, um, to me, that's all culture, and that's all coming down from the head coach because it doesn't matter what, what old Alan Tucker, the coordinator, says. You know, it's going to got to come from top down. And so, uh, yeah, that's definitely a question I'm going to ask the head coach if I ever get a chance to interview to be a coordinators like are you are you gonna let me play these guys on here because you know something I always ask the coordinators is like you know you you give me your your linebacker your starting will I, he's gonna be tired for that first defensive play but would you rather start at the 18 or you know the 28 and so that's kind of what you got to look at and yes I'm gonna get him out I just need him for those first few kickoffs right let me get I'll roll the backup in I promise but you got to set the tone, man, with kickoff and kickoff return and, and needing those guys to start a game at least because that's how you freaking win field position is the beginning of the game and just taking it over from there. Is there a number that you, you were talking about, the uh, uh, way to measure importance and stuff? Is there a, a, a number that you found that measures importance of special teams or a percentage that me- measures uh, importance of special teams? As in like – like what, what number of players? Was, was there a study you did? I mean, I guess that'd be efficiency, you know, special teams efficiency. Oh, yeah. Is there um, anything that you've seen? Man, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know. I may be hearing the question wrong. You're talking about like all the special teams rankings and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, man. Or anything you've done research-wise. I think that's a really good stat to look at, you know, is how many starters. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Um, to me, you look at their their kickoff and their uh, their punt net on each one. That's a pretty telling thing there. Um, but no, I got a ton of them. I just can't think of a specific one right now. There is a great deal of the great thing that Kirby Smart did of how he measures um, his special teams kind of rank that year. And it's nothing that ESPN does or NCAA.com or whoever the stats people are. 
it's so great, man. But he has each phase kind of their ranking in the conference and then sums it up with a number. And I thought that was awesome. Um, so it's like net punt. It's not average punt. It's, uh, you know, drive start average rather than kickoff return average, things like that. So I wish I could have them laid out for you right now, but there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, and, and recently, man, I've gone away from field position battle because a lot of that you can't help. You know, if they go three and out and, um, you know, get a couple of false starts or drop the snap or get sacked, a lot of stuff we can't control as a special teams unit, interceptions, things like that. Um, but last couple of years developed a couple of things as far as hidden yardage battle and um, explosive play battle that I think measures it a lot better. That, we can get into that another day. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's awesome, man. That's exactly the stuff I want to hear about. Talk to me a little bit about uh, long snappers. You know, a lot of people, and this is what I've realized from my coaching, is if you don't know something, you're not going to overcoach it or spend a lot of time on it. So. Yeah. You know, long snappers, a lot of people, it gets swept behind the rug or it's just kind of like, you know, put the ball. I mean, believe me, I've, you know, I started out at high school and, and what yeah. I saw there, you know, was just like sometimes made my mind explode, you know. Oh, God, yeah. Telling yeah. long snappers, your butt's coming up. I mean, I was a high school snapper, so I know your frustration. Oh, I could. my God. I you know, and I, the first year I actually did it, I, I took full charge of, of the long snappers and we had a great, yeah. we had a great uh, Marlon uh his last name anyway ended up going to Gardner Webb and he did a great job he's a D tackle they got a full scholarship to uh, Gardner Webb but he did a phenomenal job snapping because we worked at the essentials tell me uh why is it important that you have a uh, good long snapper yeah man um and I'm fighting man I'm fighting every year uh there's not a lot of guys that are in high school <sighs> like day one are ready to rock and roll in the SEC. You know, I think it uh, past two schools I was at, yes, there are plenty of guys that are ready to roll out of high school and get on that field, snap, do a great job. Um, and the SEC, man, it is from the crowd noise to the pressure that you're in to having to do either a cadence with the voice or a hand. There's so many different things, laces on field goals. It's so hard to get a guy straight out of high school ready to rock and roll in college. And so um, – the scholarship conversation, man, as far as the importance of a snapper. Right now I'm torn because I, w I was in a system that you come as a preferred walk-on, you play, whether it's the last half of the season or you have to play the whole season as a, you know, redshirt freshman, whatever it is. Uh, then you get put on scholarship, all right? And I think the main reason behind that was because, man, you don't know if this guy's going to have the yips when he's playing freaking Baton Rouge and there's 102,000 people screaming and he throws one over the head like, you don't know what they're made of until they're actually put out there. And, um, so personally, I think that depending on where you're at, uh, you got to at least reserve a scholarship for a guy within the first couple of years of him being there, I think. Um, because you got to keep him there in the summer to really mold him. Um, if he's not going to start that first year, a lot of things that you got to get him doing that summer into his next year. So rather than him going home, you know, and having to work as cutting grass or whatever, you know, have that scholarship ready to put him on if he's going to be the guy or whatever. Um, but I think uh, my personal philosophy is having a guy – sorry, I'm making sure they'll let me stay in here. All right, cool. We're great. All right. Um, all right, I'm locked in now. I think you got to have a guy that can cover. 
you know, where I'm at. I think above everything, this kid's got to have good size and can run. I'll, I will fix the snapping stuff later on. Um, but having a guy that's an athlete that can run and actually be a little athletic out there trying to tackle a guy, fit him up is huge. Um, but uh, let's, let's go into – so building a snapper, right? Is that what we're about to yeah, talk yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. But real quick okay. before you get into that, I had two, and that's good because you you making more questions for me, man. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, is there a way I feel like as I'm slowly becoming a better – because believe me, I am nowhere near where I want to be as as far of a master of specialists and masters of kicker or punters even, you know. Yeah. Even though I did it, I'm still learning more stuff. And I, I learned that stuff by talking to – greats like you or, or experts out there um but i am slowly starting to notice more things i can watch in film or things i can learn um for me personally it, is there a way that you can figure out what you know long snappers are made of now granted like you said until you get them live you can't really figure out what they're about but uh is talking to their coaches or teachers you know and figuring what's this guy's you know, headspace uh, as ho how he fa uh, handles failure. Can you yeah. figure out stuff like that? Oh, yeah. That, that's uh, so like I have a, a list of questions I ask a head coach when I call about a guy. Yeah. And a lot of it's mentality, man. How, how is he in a weight room? What other free positions does he play? Because, you know, I love Coles and Rubio, what they do with guys. Man, they are so ahead of like where we were at, where I was at. Um, but I'm not going to want a guy. All he does is snap for his high school team. It's just part of, uh, you know, I want a guy that's going to stick his freaking face in there, you know, that, that plays another position that, um, you know, he's athletic. He's got to move his hips. He's got to do certain movements. Uh, he's got to tackle somebody. You know, that's that's the first question I ask is, all right, what other position does he play? I know he's a good snapper. Um, so, yeah, I go in with that. And then I always ask mentality, you know, how is he in the weight room? Um how does he handle adversity? Has he ever, ever, have you ever seen him get the yips, like, you know, roll a ball back there in a big situation, you know, things like that. So rarely do I get bad answers, but uh, those are a couple of things I like to add. You know, also does he play another sport so I can know what the heck I was doing movement-wise. Um, but, yeah, because like I told you, uh, you know, I'm blessed to know like, – a little bit about snapping where I can coach a guy up once he gets here. Um, so I like them to be kind of all around before we get here. Like, I don't want to have to teach the guy how to freaking tackle a guy. You know, I know I will gladly. We'll do the fundamentals, but I don't want his first time tackling somebody to be, you know, at our fall camp on a dummy. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Is there is there a situation where you've seen guys and you're like, man, I would scholarship this guy right out of high school? I mean, guys that do what? What have you seen from the, those guys? Uh, body usually is body type. Dude's already freaking rocked up. You know, can run, can move his hips. You know, great flexibility. I mean, I get, I love tight end bodies. Like I love a guy that's that's pretty big, so he can hang in there on field goal. Um, and can also get off of a, a holdup, you know, things like that. So, yes, I've seen plenty, plenty guys that I wish I could offer, you know, like a, like a receiver coach, you know, just, hey, we like you a lot, you know, we want to bring you up here. But, you know, I do love working a little harder to get a guy because that's all, how is that, how is how it ends up, man. You're, you're up against a lot of, uh, 
I don't know how, man, but a lot of times the smaller schools, they get those scholarships to go get specialists. And whatever they're doing, like, I love it. But a lot of times I'm fighting against a, um, you know, FCS or a, or a group of five that's giving the guys a four-ride scholarship. And all I'm offering the guys prefer walk on and selling the dream of getting put on scholarship, which, you know, again, that comes down to mentality. Are you, can you bet on yourself to come into SEC West, beat out who I got here, and get put on scholarship. And if they say yes, and I know what they're know what they're about, you know. And I've been told plenty of times, no, coach, I don't. I, I'm going to stick with this when I ask that question. So it's not like they're all just going to say yeah. I've heard plenty of guys say, coach, I think I'm just more comfortable going into a, already a full ride scholarship. And so, you know, and it, yeah, and that's tough for you, right? Because I mean, you you can't really blame them in a sense they're getting a full wide scholarship offer and to me for those small schools yeah I mean that's that is good for them because they're getting a great quality snapper you know but like our boy Mm -hmm. PB uh you know (laughs) I knew all about Paul's uh journey and uh, even UT Martin was uh talking and some smaller schools were interested in him but he bet on himself and bet on himself and Mississippi State took me by surprise man and I love that that's exactly what I want a guy that's got some crap to him I won't say the S word but a guy that that knows his ability, um, puts his freaking head down and works, man. Like we're we're going through fall camp and he's like a three or a four for me and I'm timing, I'm like, God, this guy is a six eight, six nine every single snap. Like which that's good that's really good speed. Um, but the fact that it never ever was different was blew my mind. This consistent, the spot is always the same, his speed's always the same. And that's what led me to say, Coach Jones, like, we, I mean, I know it's crazy, but let's look at this kid as a two right now. Let's see him. Let's throw him in the team reps. Let's throw him in, you know, field goals so he can get perfect laces and all that. And then Paul freaking took off with the opportunity and ended up doing so many great things for me. He's the most productive snapper in the SEC without a doubt. And so this next year, I mean, he's going to light it up again. And uh, doing it all undersized, you know, that's what I love about it. The guy doesn't freaking back away from anybody. He got put on his tail, you know, from 320-pound nose tackles on field goal and just got right back up every single time, talked a little crap to him, and then snapped the perfect pearl, you know. So I, I love that kid to death, man. He's exactly what you want men- mentally. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, right? You want a scrappy guy. It just He just scrappy. mentally yeah. what he can do and – and yeah. how he can compete, man. So that's that's just what you're talking about when you're finding those guys in the rough. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm out for you guys. All right, yeah, I know you're ready to get into it. So break down some long – man, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Yeah. Talk to me all about long snapping. Don't miss any details. But explain it if I was a beginner, you know, or I didn't – Yeah, know no doubt. All. No doubt. Um, thankfully, I'm at the level I'm at, so I don't have to go really, really deep into, like, all the – logistics of it but let's say you're a high school coach right building a long snapper first is like all right let me put this in the right words all right you need kind of an athlete um i think you and i have both seen a lot of guys that claim to be long snappers um and that's that's their only role in their high school team and it kind of shows so find an athlete all right and then the one thing you can do to, to weed them out get them to stand freaking 10, 15 yards from a guy and throw a football, all right? If he can't throw a spiral, how do you expect him to throw a spiral between his legs, all right? And that, to me, watching some of these kids warm up on these, uh, you know, these big camps, these uh, the Rubio, the Coles, and all that, these jokers can't even throw spirals, you know, just throw and catch with their friend. And so 
to me, that that is day one. If this kid can't throw a spiral, I'm sorry, man. Like, try O-line, like, figure out, put, put some weight on, do something. And so that's kind of how you weed them all out at the beginning. Uh, after that, you can kind of see how flexible they are strictly by them getting in the stance, man. So um, ideally, you want to have a flat back before you snap. If this kid figure out a way to get a flat back before he snaps, that means there's something wrong with his flexibility where he can't even, you know, get in that position. Uh, a lot of times it's like they got to do a lot more than most people to get the ball back there, whether it's put it way out in front, you know, making them have their butt up a little bit or, um, you know, have it a little bit under them. Um, so, I think it's all about, yeah, flexibility, having an athlete that can throw a freaking spiral, um, make sure they're flexible enough to actually get their arms and hands through their legs. You know, there's a lot of guys that it's like they're fighting themselves when they're snapping. So, um, and then after that, it's, uh, it's just, you know, really, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I didn't mean, I didn't know I was going one-on-one fundamentals here. Uh, but, yeah, so we'll start with that, right? And then when you get to the snapping part of it, it's, it's can he be consistent every time with his hands? And so by that, I mean there's a lot of things. Uh, I'll kind of dial it back a little bit. How he approaches the ball. So is his feet different every time? You know, where he puts the ball when he's got it out in front of him, is that different every time? Find a kid that can at least be consistent with that because then you can work with him from there. But um, the follow-through, man, is – how far can his hands get back, and are they even? And so that's kind of a way to weed out more guys and see who can kind of do it. And, you know, the, one of the mis biggest misconceptions is having your wrist touch when you follow through. That doesn't have to happen. Make sure they're not off, you know what I'm saying, like this. To let, like, one's not a, a, one is not above the other. You know, try to get as even hands as you can. And so uh, that's just kind of how to build a snapper as a high schooler. Um, get a guy that can just get it back there. And then after that, you can start tweaking, you know, everything from where he has the ball at the beginning to his feet, widening the stance, narrowing the stance. I think once you see who can get it back there, then you can start tweaking those little things. Because um, a lot of times the guys just have too wide of a base or too – a lot of times way too narrow of a base. Because uh, that is what allows you to get your whole, you know, arms, head all the way through on that follow through. And I hate it because like I wasn't taught by anybody. I just, me and my brother started throwing balls back there and, you know, we didn't watch YouTube or anything. I was just like, this feels good. I'm gonna throw it back there. So a lot of times, like I kind of get mixed up with teaching the day one stuff, which is why I'm very, very happy I'm at college. Cause these guys have at least gone through those, those day one things. Um, but let's talk about, you know, a college snapper. Uh, so when they get to me, you know, I want to see, how efficient they, efficient they can be with their snaps. So limited wasted movement. Um, by that, I mean, you know, flat back. With a flat back, the ball is going to be a little closer to your body just in general. It's going to be a little bit ahead of your nose, um, not directly under you. And from there, let's see how quickly, how twitchy you can get back there with the limited movement. All right, get it out of your hands as quick as possible and down the field. And so that's what I like to work on first is, all right, let's let's go side camera, front camera, back camera. Let's get in your day one stance. Let me tweak you a little bit, see how it feels. But let's see, you know, how we can limit the movement as most as possible. 
uh, and, you know, keep you a good snapper. And so a lot of that comes into, you know, when you whip the ball, when you go towards your nose first and throwing it. So if a guy's going really far, you know, up to his head, then throwing it, uh, let's move that ball a little closer to you. So we're taking that whole big whip out of it, getting it closer to your body. Now you're still doing the whip, but it's closer to you, so it's getting out faster. And, you know, I think I need some, some film, but we can, we can talk through all this. It's No, you're good. Let me totally stop you right there when you're, when you're yeah. talking about that because I'm aware of where you're at. I know there's going to be long snappers that are listening. They know exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you coach, you know, first thing I've always – and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you're you know, way more than me about this subject. But the first thing that moves is, is you, you start to tuck your chin and your hands uh, on the ball – come up and and back simultaneously right uh, yeah do you teach them i mean how high up are you telling them to go you don't want to waste energy going vertically right yeah. you want your energy to go back so what do you teach them i mean i'm sure you're not that nitpicky with them what do yeah you teach them as far as their hands uh starting out that snap yeah so a lot of it comes into uh just having it a little more under you closer to your body so that takes out a lot of that coming up. You know, it's, it forces you to only go in that whip motion, so forward and back at the same time, because you don't have it way out in front. Um, you know, a thing that I did wrong a lot of the time was uh, I thought that it needed to be on – this is because I didn't know. I mean, I just snapped the ball. I, I never had anybody break it down for me until I got to college of what I'm doing. You know, I thought it needed to be point A to point B, boom, just one linear line back. Well, that's impossible. You can't just slide the ball, you know, straight back. You have to pick it up. You got to start that whip motion, you know, to your to your face and then backwards at the same time. And so uh, it's limiting that moment, that movement, and getting it more twitchy, if that makes sense, so faster. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's simple – science the quicker the, the faster the whip the faster the ball's going to get back there and so that all comes into once they get here getting them really developed in the weight room i'm right there a lot you. of times man you really can't teach twitch oh yeah that makes like sense. a guy named J joel baldwin who was my starter in 2018 only reason he was on the field was because of how twitchy he was how he started when he got here ball was way out in front of him he thought that's how he generates speed um, but worked his tail off in the weight room, got huge, you know, fish bellies on his forearms, big shoulders, um, did a lot of reaction work with the bands, um, moved the ball closer to him, so a little more under him, and just, I mean, was the quickest I've ever seen getting the ball off the ground and out of his hands. So, uh, yeah. So I guess just taking out wasted movement would be the biggest thing with all that. What do you, what do you tell them with their, you know, I've heard a lot as far as, uh, when you're starting that snap, uh, activate your core, tuck your chin. You know, what? tell me what you're doing with your, your head and your uh, core uh, when you're starting out that snap. Yeah, so um, because we are a – most guys in college are look snappers. By that I mean you got to look back there because it's so loud and, and look for the hand cadence, right? Or some people do, they'll lift their foot in the NFL, I know for sure. Um, so – that takes out a lot of the guys who pick their head up uh, and then snap and you, they try to use that head as momentum. And, um, you know, it's a myth that I prove guys wrong with all the time because they'll come in as guys that lift their head before the snap and then everything activates at the same time. Um, and then I say, well, well, look, like, 
you know, look through your legs, do the same exact thing, uh, and we'll time those snaps and see what the difference is. Paul's a guy. He was a, a no-look snapper, changed to a look snapper. Um, the speed did not change at all. He even got faster when he started looking. And so, um, to me, it's it's like you said, it's got to be a simultaneous motion, tuck the chin, arms, that whip, shoulders, arms, you know, all that should bring everything into motion together. Um, and that head, it needs to come through. I'm trying to think of the, the best coaching terms for that. Um, everything needs to go through your legs. And so some guys try to, like, keep that head up, you know, and not bring it through, but it's all got to be one motion through or else it's going to be like throwing a change up. So some guys I've seen, you know, their arms come through great, right? They come – I mean, elbows are almost past their knees. I mean, great – great flexibility but their heads you know stay straight and so it's like you're throwing a change up man you're you're rearing back and you're throwing everything you got but because your head's fighting the other way it's throwing like a change up back there and so um yeah it's it's all gonna be one one fluid motion yeah I love that actually and yeah. that that drill that or whatever the, how you worked it out with Paul too because that's something that you know I didn't really know about it's kind of an extension of what you were just talking about no wasted motion right that's a wasted yeah. motion picking your head for up sure and it's a way for defenses to key it and so uh, that's kind of why we don't like to do that it's really hard for some guys to get away from too and it's just man it's just part of it like uh, either you you get really good at making that time between lifting your head and the snap different every time you snap or you got to start looking I mean it's just one of those things and uh, a lot of guys get way more accurate when they start to do that, the look snap. I like that. All right, so now t t take me through, like, the elbows and the next part of it, right? You're getting through your legs, uh, your follow-through. Um, I've heard, like, a shotgun barrel. You want to – your eyes want to be looking down a shotgun barrel with yeah. arms. Is that something you kind of coach on? Tell me. Yeah, 100%. So it's just like on field goal and punt, man. You got to see through your hands is what, what you like to tell them, like, if there was a camera on the back, I should see eyes and hands almost at the same level, everything working backwards. But um, you're exactly right, like a, like a shotgun. I mean, it's everything's got to explode out. Um, and, um, you know, when you release the ball, wrists don't have to be together by any means, but they should be even. And so Paul, a lot of times, he'll get, he'll get off a little bit and you'll see that ball tail or there'll be a little tick in the, in the snap, which means it's wobbling a little bit. But um, you want to finish, if you pause that from the side angle every time, his arms are coming out of his legs at the same exact point. So he's not coming higher sometimes, he's not coming lower. You know, it's at the same exact point every single time. And uh, a lot of that comes from, like we said earlier, not wasting movement, not having to start with the ball way out here and come through. And, um, you know, a drill we like to do for finishing through with your hands is, is uh, stand back there with your arm behind them and just say, slap my hand. And so when they do that, they gotta, I got to see the head and arms go back. Um, so if, I'm, I'm stepping back here. The guy's having some issues with accuracy or with, uh, you know, coming off with hands, you know, above each other. A lot of times I'll just say over-exaggerate the snap here. So snap and hold it. So when they snap, hold that position with your arms straight, you know, between your legs and head looking through your hands. And so we'll do that a couple times until they're like, oh, I get it. And so by over-exaggerating it, they're starting to get that feeling a little more. And they'll pick up the speed, but 
um, you know, that release is so important and getting all the way through. Yeah, I love that, actually. That's really good because, uh, yeah, that's something that a lot of, especially younger guys when I was working with, you know, my high school guys, it's like they just want to snap. One one of my biggest pet peeves is when guys snap and then their hands come out. I'm like, you know, what are you doing with your hands? Hold that yeah. ball through. You wouldn't, you know, throw a pitch or, or throw a football and then snap your arm yeah. back. It's all about, yeah, like you said, holding the follow through. That's what, that's uh, what they teach uh, quarterbacks too. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, so we talked about efficiency. So so limiting movement with the snap. Um, and then you got twitch, which can be helped a little bit in the weight room. Uh, but, but that's all about pre-snap positioning. Um, and then, uh, you know, the biggest thing I do when a guy gets to campus uh, is pre-snap routine. So like, like a batter entering the batter's box, right? Before, you know, day one, we'll get on a yard line without a ball and, you know, I make them address the ball. So we'll have one out, you know, where a ball would be, but it's, it's all about the feet. So where they're at, you know, your mannerisms before the snap. So whether it's lick, lick, wipe, wipe, it's gotta be something that you can go to every single time. Um, so a routine is the very first thing. I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around. I just kind of, you know, thoughts are coming back in you're my good, head. You're good. The guy at this level who already knows how to snap a ball, um, make them even better. So take what they do and, and make it even better. So routine is a way to make it better. So by that, having the same exact ritual when you get up to the ball, making sure the feet are the exact same every single time. It's like a triangle, right? So toe, toe, and ball it needs to be the exact same, uh, I guess, distance every single time. And so that just takes repetition. Day one through day five, you know, it's just a ton of those drills. Uh, before they even start to warm up and then um so that and then uh you know after like i said they usually know how to snap pretty good right so that's not something you have to worry about it's it's managing them making sure they're consistent every time like i said with the follow-through checking it all the time making sure they're not short arming it or whatever um but learning kind of if a snap is to the right what the problem probably is just like kicking, right? So you may not have seen exactly what happened, but if you see a ball go right, you probably know what they did wrong. And so that's kind of how I've managed snapping. And then later on tape, we'll watch it all and figure it out. But uh, then, you know, the next step is to make them really good in coverage. And that is all things I can control. You know, ways to get off of a blocker, ways to uh, stack them, you know, different things with how to tackle a returner, you know, how to – approach them on a fair cat, different things. So we're then I'm going to teach them all the coverage techniques and all that kind of stuff and make them really good. Um, and then tackling is, is something that we're going to get very, very good at. And Paulie B is one of the best um, at just throwing his face in there. And so uh, that's, that's something that we can, how to make them good snappers to great snappers, in my opinion, is the coverage aspect. So forcing fair catches, getting down there and, you know, muff, you know, how to get on a muff ball, how to get off of a blog, you know, things like that. Man, I love that. That, you know, and that's one of the things I really, uh, you know, respect about you. And I think you do a great job of is uh, the different situations you put your specialist in. I'm just from what, you know, yeah. show me about that to me as a specialist coach and, and someone who, you know, really studies these guys, that is so important is putting them in adverse situations or game-like situations and seeing how they respond. Um, yeah, no doubt. 
you know, with make, uh, make the game easy for them. Absolutely. Go real quick. I'm going to go back real quick because I love what you said about your, you know, pre-snap routine and dressing. The yeah, ball. yeah. I love that because with my kickers and punters, I do the same thing. I, you know, have something mm-hmm. that when you do it, it puts your mind in the right state. We're like, all right, it's go time now. I'm blocking out all distractions. Um, do you have, do you give them any mental or verbal cues? For example, I'll tell myself when I was punting, you know, lock the ankle out or uh, release and go straight down. Or I even had a breathing routine when I took my field goal steps. I'd make sure I'd breathe in for four, pause for two, breathe out for four as I'm lining up my kick, you know, and then take my yeah. steps and do it again. Is there something that you tell your guys for long snappers, mental and verbal? Uh, oh, definitely. Um, one of the biggest things that can screw up, screw up a snapper, man, it being one was if you're over the ball too long, you can go back and look at it historically. Uh, you're going to snap the ball high. It's just part of it. Like being over the ball, stressing your body out, you know, whether it's a they're making checks at the line or coach screwed up and sent us out there too early or, or whatever. They're stemming, but being over the ball. And so a thing I like to tell them is, is we got to figure out the cadence of the punt. We'll talk about punt first, right? So you need to know, you know, the routine of that personal protector or that shield guy or your punter, when you all run out there and you do your feet and you get perfectly aligned, you know, when to begin your routine and when to address the ball. Because um, you can be the best snapper in the world, but if, if, you're, if you're rushed or if you're told to stay on the ball way too long, there's not a lot you can do. And so the biggest thing I like to tell those guys is, is whatever routine you can get, you know, it's, it's, if it's running out on the field, standing over the ball and looking back, you got to do that. Or if you got to look between your legs, you know, it's something that, that I tell Paul to do is, is have your, your arms resting on your thigh board, right? Just kind of bend over the ball until he hears that, that uh, shield guy start the cadence. Then he can address the ball. Because he was having a hard time. He was addressing it way too early. And he was hanging over the ball way too long. And so I think the biggest thing you can do is rep it with you guys along, get the, get the uh, kickers to be shield guys but kind of get that routine of running on the field or, you know, doing your punt script, whatever, but running on the field, standing over the ball, you know, and when do you start addressing the ball or your routine, your, your wipe, wipe, you know, hands on the ball, right hand or left hand, but make that the same every time, start at the same time every time. Uh, and so, you know, with Paul, I think it was, um, you know, he would stand over the ball, put his, he would rest his arms and look between his legs. And when he finally saw, like, the shield guy put his hands on his knees or whatever it was, that's when he would start his his deal. And so I think that helped him out a lot. I think um, that's a major thing you can do with those guys is work that cadence or whatever it is into their practice time so they're not just snapping balls, snapping balls, snapping balls. And then another thing, I'm sorry I didn't mention this, uh, I don't like guys just standing. Say it's field goal, snapping a ball, turning around, grabbing it, putting it on the ground, snapping the ball. I want them to readdress the ball every single snap. So they got to get their feet ready. You know, they can't just – don't just keep your feet in the same spot, catch a ball and snap again. No. Back up, go through your routine and whatever. And so going back to that cadence thing with Paul, on field goals, he would actually turn and look back at the kicker and the holder. All right, and as soon as the kicker started to take his steps sideways – that's when Paul would wipe his right hand on the towel. That's when Paul would get on the ball. And so that was his thing. He it never changed. And so that that helped him out a lot with his rhythm. For Man, sure. I 
Yeah, that's some great stuff. But here's the thing. This is what makes me so happy is, is, yeah. is what makes specialists, you know, so uh, analytical or, you know, yeah. people don't know a lot of coaches, even if they've been around, you know, they don't really pay attention to these little things that I think are so important to setting your long snappers apart and making them the best that they can be is these little things like that. I love yeah. it. Tell me, uh, do you guys, how do you rep or, or what happens if Paul gets in a bad situation where he's already gotten set and now the shield is making checks or they're stemming or doing something? Do you tell him anything if he's caught in that bad situation? Yeah, so that's, we actually work that a lot, probably overwork it. I'm a big situational guy. Maybe it's to eat up practice time or whatever, but I, I just freaking love working in, hey, it's a it's a review the review and the touchdown we got to chill I I love working all that kind of stuff and so like you said like uh, I mean we're out there in freaking summer like June they're going through a script and I'll work that in there like hey Paul get over the ball and it's a check right so checking the, the guy in for protection or on punt or whatever and so we had to go through that what what do you what do you feel comfortable doing is it taking one hand off the ball like you see some actual centers do, you know, where they like put a knee down, turn around or whatever. And Paul's big thing was to take his left hand off and like put it on his thigh board and just kind of sit there. And so that's how he handled it. Ray, our other snapper, he was a um, same thing. He would take one hand off the ball, but he liked to like turn a little bit and look back. And so it's working those situations. So they're not taken by surprise. Um one major thing, though, you can tell your guys, don't put your hands on the ball too quickly because say they make a check or whatever, now you can just stand up and turn. Like, you don't have to have one hand because once you, you know, put a hand on the ball, you got to keep it. But, um, you know, it's putting them in those situations before it actually happens. Um, but, no, we worked them in the team situations and all that stuff and never took them by surprise. And it came up plenty of times in games. Um, Paul a couple times you know only one time did it happen bad uh, just because I had done a poor job of introducing it to him in 2018 but 2019 we were ready to roll we had a, like a 40 second uh, delay like we're out on the field ready to punt the ball and we were communicated that the the play the clock was going to start on the snap but it was actually going to start when we ran out there and so Paul, we boom, boom, had to abort and say, yo, chill out, you know, whatever it is that Shield told him. But because we had gone through that, he was comfortable. He sat there, you know, was able to look at the clock, was able to look back. And so he was good to go uh, for that. Man. But, yeah. yeah. What, real quick, too, another thing that I thought of, uh, and, you know, something I told my guys, are you ever worried about uh, long snappers or short snappers having their head down for too long? I know like sometimes sweat can get in your eyes, right? Your head is rushing, your blood definitely, is rushing to your definitely. head. Yeah. What do, you, what do you tell your guys about that? That That's a major, like I told you before, I don't know why it's that way, but usually you throw it high if you're down over the ball too long. And um, that's all about knowing your, knowing your shield guy, knowing your, your holder on field goal. It's all about knowing those guys, knowing what could happen, you know, already bringing that, hey, check, you know, they brought two guys in the A-gap type stuff up to him. So now he knows, you know, what was what my ritual whenever we're making a check? Do I put one hand off and look back or do I, you know, stay over the ball? And so, uh, yeah, it comes down to that. You know, don't put yourself in the situation where you're over the ball too long. You know, whether it's keeping 
one hand on the ball or just not having any hands on the ball and wrestling your thigh board. Yeah, I love that, man. That's what makes yeah. – that's what sets you apart, I think. Yeah. Um, tell me, was there more you wanted to add to, like, the different phases and stuff or how you guys – Yeah, I, I forgot, man. The, the, you said the three most important. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to know about what, what you think is, like, the most important, you know, things that you have to – the phases for a, a quality long snapper. Yeah, I would say uh, one is the, the pre-snap, which breaks into two things. It's, uh, like we said earlier, routine. Freaking be the same exact guy every time, like stepping into a batter's box, and then the the balance. So flat back, being completely balanced, not back on your heels. You know, not falling forward when you snap. Being completely balanced all the way through, straight line back, and then being able to get you know get freaking out and get covering. And so that, and uh, then you know being able to get out and get covering all comes from balance. Like I said, so the pre-snap position, I guess you could call it that. Um, Second phase would have to be twitch or release. So doing whatever it takes to get faster at that motion, whether it's bringing it closer to your body, so that's less distance you got to whip that thing back, or just getting in the weight room and getting twitchier um, and, you know, having an even release every time. And uh, the third phase would have to be the flexibility and the reach back. So head and hands going all the way through your legs, you know, being very flexible and overemphasize that. Like I said, sometimes we'll tell them, hey, snap it and hold it, and let's see how far back you are. Let's see, you know, where your hands are positioned. And so that's the three phases, I think. Hey, I love that. Your your second phase and what you talked about with your uh, 2018 long snapper, I think you're talking about doing some, uh, you know, work with, with bands, reaction work with bands. What is something that you like to have them do that reaction work with bands? Is it more like bands on your hips or is it like your wrist and upper body? How do you Oh, no, that? it's uh, – and I, I leave this to the, the strength coaches. Yeah. Man. You know, a lot of stuff um, – the 2018, we were a really big sports science um, training team, you know, and it was a lot of reaction, a lot of, uh, like I said, efficient movements. Like even with receivers, they wanted it to be efficient, less wasted movement. So – snappers they were doing a ton of band work where either it was you know um just getting more flex i don't even know what they did with them you know i let them handle that but i, I mean i've seen med ball work for sure where it's it's working on that initial movement of getting stronger uh, working whatever muscles those are to get twitch uh just repetitive uh, one thing one old school thing that they used to do is we used to put our hands in rice buckets and you turn them in there, and that kind of built the wrist strength and the forearm strength. I know that much, but I like that. I probably need to look more into uh, special teams. You does a great job showing workouts. Uh, I've, I've sent a bunch of them to my guys to, to work on just because they know more than I do. He's got a guy there apparently that's uh, um, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but but for a living, I mean, he does you know training, and so he'll show Luke Rhodes doing a workout. I'm like, that's genius. You know, I didn't know to do that, so. I'll let those guys handle that, and I'll just handle, you know, managing reps and things like that. But, uh, nah, I don't tell the, them to go do anything specific in the weight room. I let them take care of that, Yeah, uh, the strength staff. But. No, that's that's some good stuff. I like that. And now you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, what are some – when you're looking – all right, I'm looking – say for me, I'm looking to recruit some high school long snappers. Uh, what are some qualities that you're looking for? Obviously, you've talked about body size, 
Um, yeah. The big thing. Um, I don't know, technique wise or, or coverage wise, what do you look for? Yeah, I'm looking at size. Um, I'm looking at the flight of the ball. So I don't do times. I think times are, are kind of skewed nowadays. I don't, I don't believe a lot of what's out there um, until I see it in person. And so, uh, but a lot of that on film, you can just tell from the flight of the ball. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. If there's an arc to the ball, it's probably in the eights. If it's, if it's a little arc, it's probably in the sevens. If there's little to no arc, I mean, he's sixes. He's doing a great job. One thing you really got to keep in mind, though, I'd say 60% of high schools don't snap the ball at 14 yards or even 15. You know, they're at 12. So you're like, dang, this guy's firing him. But he, they're not. I mean, they're at 12 yards. And so the flight of the ball is what I like to look at. Um, can't really see how tight the spiral is on film. So a lot of that we like to see in person. And then, man, I'm, I'm really big on how athletic he looks getting down the field. I don't know why. I mean, I think it's the, the guy I work for now, Coach Brock. He's really into uh, the coverage aspect of the snapper, and I am too. Like, he needs to be able to, to do other things. I know it's the snaps got to get back there, but if that guy can force some fair catches for you, man, that's, that's huge. And so that, that makes your punt team way better. Um, so yeah, I'd say size for sure, uh, build, you know, I don't, I don't really, um, you know, you can tell what kind of guy can put on weight. Um, and, and you can see it on film as this guy can be able to last against our opponents. And so a lot of times I can tell from the first couple clips, if he's, if he can't get off of a guy holding him up, you know, in high school, there's no way he can even get down the field in our league. And so I'm looking at size and look at the flight of the ball um, and then coverage ability and then field goal, man. I like to, if they can get laces in high school, that's a, that's a pretty major deal, which now more and more kids are getting it, but really just the spot and field goal. Can he put it consistently in the same spot? Uh, but man, a lot of it I like to look at on their like drill tape. So huddle tape is cool, but, but a lot of that stuff they put on Twitter of just them snapping, you know, I really like to see that because I can see it in person, not in person, but a close up kind of their fundamentals, their technique and all that kind of good stuff. Do you, do you ask for like certain angle? I know some uh, special teams coaches, you know, uh, for example, if I'm watching a kicker, right, I might ask for him, hey, take a view of, you know, like a wide shot and it's right near the ball. So I can see if your ankle is locked out on contact and through contact. Is there a different, you know, say, all right, give me, you know, five, uh, directly behind you so I can see your hands. Give me yeah. five from the side. What do you ask? your? Yeah, so I, I didn't mention this earlier. It's kind of one of those things that if they're doing it, it's kind of tough to, to make them any better. Um, but I like a back view, one, to see hands, two, to see if the feet come straight back when he snaps or are they coming ankles or going inwards. Um, a lot of guys, it has to do with flexibility, not a lot. Some of them, you know, their ankles are going to – or their, their heels are going to come inwards at almost like a 45-degree angle. And that looks like their body's fighting against themselves. So it's hard for, you know, them to, one, get out of a stance, two, get the ball back there. Um, so I can see from film from behind, one, are their hands good? You know, are they coming out at the same height every time? You know, the hands, are they way up by their butt? Are they down by the knee crease or are they low? Uh, and two, can I, I want to see those feet. You know, are they coming straight back? Or are they coming inwards? And so back view, but really I, I don't like to ask them for certain camera footage. I just say, give me some tape, man. Uh, and then coverage. A lot of times guys will cut the coverage out of the film. So I just say, send me your tape, buddy. 
or I'll watch a game on huddle. A lot of times, just uncut. Yeah, if they're if they're cutting the uh, coverage out of it. That might yeah, it should tell you a lot. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing I do like, man, I wish there was more of it. Uh, I want to say Rubio and Colas both do some kind of coverage drill after the snap. That's pretty cool. I, I think it's a good idea, you know, whether tackling a, a donut or a tackling dummy. Um, now, the one where you snap and go out for a pass, I, I think that's that's wasting a little time. But definitely both those guys do drills with coverage. I think it really is really useful for me as a college coach to see how he can move. You yeah. know, if it's just them doing bags, like still, I can see if, if that guy athletic or not. I was going to say, the coverage one, are they working on snapping and then getting down the field and have to come yeah. and change direction? to make? Yeah, he, uh, there's a couple of good drills they've done, you know, where they're, they're doing bag drills and then they'll run around the hoop or, you know, they'll, they'll stop, hit the ground, roll, roll, then make the tackle, um, bend around a couple of cones. There's some good stuff. But, you know, my favorite thing is to just have a camp and get kids there in the summer and then put them through the ringer, man. I got a lot of good drills I do with coverage to see who can do it and who can't. Yeah, that's what makes this offseason so tough, right? It was the, yeah. It's really important to the camps, too, and all the specialist stuff. And it's like, damn. Yeah, that's a bummer. But, you know, it's the same drill I do with my guys, and that's why I like it. And I think they like that, too. The recruits is, oh, well, you know, they're doing this in Mississippi State. Like, I, I'm doing it, you know, so it's cool, cool to teach. Oh, I love that. That's I the thing about my camp. Well, I don't have camps. When I like when I run a camp, you know whether it's a prospect camp or a specialist camp, whatever, I like to teach and not just evaluate because there's so many little things I didn't know until college that I wish I would have known in high school. And so I, I love teaching during it. I wish we could have camps this summer. It's a bummer we didn't. Yeah, even if it's just foundation stuff, right? That's yeah, cool. no doubt. And they can helping have- a guy out, you know. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm all for helping snappers, you know around the globe you know I talked to some guys and they're not for us but like I'm like look if you ever have questions about recruiting or you know this coach is saying this um you know what does that mean you know I say it's like a um just a situation with with specialists they have I don't know just anything any questions they have like I'm gonna help a snapper out until they're done snapping and so there's a kid named William Moat that I love the death, man. He's from Alabama. He plays at Georgia. Incredible snapper. Wish he could play for me. Um, but I'm going to be there for that kid till he's done. You know, hopefully I'll be, you know, at his marriage. But, but like, was able to help him through some recruiting stuff, tell him what, what certain things mean, you know, what, how does out-of-state look for a kid. And even though he wasn't coming to me, like, I was able to help that guy. And if he ever has issues with snapping during the season, I'll gladly help him with whatever. Having trouble with rain, coach, like, wet ball drills, what can I do? But, like, yeah, I don't know. I just – for the greater good, same with you and kickers and punters. You just want to – you just want everybody to be good. Like, teach them things you've, you've seen and make them better. That's why we got the podcast, baby. That's We're right. Get that the in. book, yeah. But, and the book, yeah. But, man, I'm, we'll definitely uh, put your stuff out there and you can keep helping specialists, man, helping me. I, I appreciate you taking the time out anyway. Um, yeah. Talk to me. All right, so you've – You've groomed these guys, man. They've come under your uh, the Coach Tuck wing, and they they come out looking like the shiny, you know, fantastic long snapper. How can you tell it? Because you've been around some great long snappers, and you've oh, seen yeah. some great long snappers. How can you tell, uh, all right, this guy, he's got potential. You know, he's he can play at the next level. What sets them apart? Oh, man. I would say mentality. 
like Paul's mentality, like like Hunter Bradley's mentality who's playing for the Packers now. Um, you can tell, man, they're just they're they're war daddies, man. They want to freaking work. They're, you hear people in the weight room talk about them. They're working out with linebackers. They're not working out with the specialists. You know, they're they're getting brought up in staff meetings today. This guy's, you know, he's done great every lift we've had. Um, and then you can kind of see in the meetings they're there to to literally learn, to write down, to look at their, you know, their stats that I put up and they're mad whenever it's not where they want it to be. Um, that's what I like. And it's not just a guy trying to get by. Um, um, but we're talking about next level, like NFL, you know, it's – it really, to me, it comes down to their their frame. So after a year, what do they look like, you know, body-wise? Because uh, pretty much every – NFL snappers don't look the same, but they're very similar, you know, as far as build. And so a lot of times you can tell within the first year is that guy going to have that build or not. And then um, really accuracy. I mean, if NFL is all about accuracy over speed, I think. And um, from what I've heard talking to Hunter and, and Winston Chapman, it's, it's a lot about can you be consistent every single time, you know, punt and field goal. And, uh, yeah, usually accuracy and coverage ability. But I would say that's it. There's no real snap time that you can say this is this guy's going to be at the next level because he snaps this. No, it's it's really all about, you know, everything from, hey, we got to roll out punt, so you got to put it a yard outside the punter. He puts it exactly where it's supposed to be, you know, or, or – uh, you know, hey, if the gunner's the first one down, he's going to force him to the sideline. So you got to be in his position that he was originally. Can they do that and understand coverage? Like, I'm not just snapping a ball and running. I understand why we do this scheme, why this gunner's over here, and where I fit. You know, sky punt situation. You know, I'm I'm a back I'm a backstop. I'm not just running down and getting on the returner. I'm there for the ball if it bounces backwards. You know, guys that actually think situationally. Think about the scheme, um, field goal-wise, can take control of the group, um, say, hey, it's freaking tackle over. Like, they're not just snapping. Like, they're also very aware we're on the left hash, it's going to be tackle over. Like, and they're out there saying that stuff. So, guys that, I guess, take initiative to do more than just snap and run, um, those guys are going to play for a long time. Man, yeah, I mean, you're giving so many good points, too, for younger guys to learn yeah. that this is what I have to do to be play at that next level. I have these aspirations. I have to be cognizant of all of this. Yeah. You know what? To me, one of the greatest things that you said was it goes back to being that good student, right? I mean, yeah. believe me, I was nowhere, was never the biggest and most athletic or the best, you know, punter on the team. But what I did take pride in was, you know, taking notes, man. Every time I was in there, I had a huge notebook and that's what turned into my book. But, you know, being a student of the game is really something that will set you apart. 100%. Knowing the returner. You know, like, Hunter was a guy that he knew the whole game plan that week. He knew what kind of guy that returner was um, and knew the, the rush looks. Man, this guy knew everything. Like, he knew what to expect from every single team. And the guys, so he, he was a captain for the Packers one game or a couple games this past year. Like, this guy is going to play football as long as he wants to because he does the things people aren't willing to do. Even in college, that guy was out there – I mean, he knew more than the special teams coordinator of what that guy was going to do. And, I mean, it just shows up. Like, don't just – like, do more than what you're expecting. Like, go out there, hey, this returner really likes to take it to the field. Just know that. Like, obviously, you got to do your role in coverage. But having that in mind and knowing that he likes to 
hey, his favorite thing is is a, a stop and cut or a spin move, or he always makes the first guy miss. Little things like that. Like in SEC, that's a really big thing. Like, hey, I know we're good, and I have faith in our gunner, but expect the first guy to miss. So you got to be there to clean it up because this joker is a freaking world-class athlete. And so, uh, you know, Hunter was was great at those things, and so was Chapman. Chapman got a chance to play too. Um, and always aware, nothing took them by surprise. They wanted to get that situational work uh, and wanted to be made uncomfortable during the week so they could be better in the game. Man, that's that's awesome. Those are some good, uh, very valid points too. When you have your guys, you know, even in camp or even throughout the season, how do you create that? Because you have a ton of long staffers and you have 35 specialists on your team. Yeah, yeah. How do you create that competition aspect between them? Oh, man. Well, everything's charted for sure. Uh, well, go back to Chris Bonial, the, the charting system he gave me is just super detailed, man. Like, I don't even know. You may have seen it when I was handing it out that meeting, but everybody gets it every day. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about snappers. They're going to know, we'll say punt. There's basically a strike zone, um, you know, numbered one through eight, uh, starting from the the neck down to the knees. Um, and it's just kind of a, like you see in the, the Nintendo or PlayStation when you play MLB The Show, kind of the hot points of a batter's, you know, the batter's box he's got his little, that's where I got it from. Um, and so you can kind of see where he's hitting his, his snap speed. Um, and so that creates competition. So, you know, Paul's at a 6'8 average, you know, Raymond's at a 7'1". Like, Paul can talk crap. He can say, dude, get your snaps up. Like, you know, I'm hitting – this, whatever his percentage worked out to be, like I'm 85% on location. I'm on, I'm on my accuracy. And so they're able to see every single day, this guy's got the best numbers. The same with kicking, same with punting. There's uh, everything is out there. Like everything is accounted for and it's right there in front of you. Uh, so competition. Uh, yeah. So competition will go with the charts. That's a definite big one. Um, but, you know, I, I like to do things from the start. From the start of the meeting, man, where I'm, I'm doing uh, a paper football competition before they go out. Somebody told me one day, I don't know exactly who it was, but when they're in the meeting room, you need to start those competitive juices flowing, whether it's a, you know, a song battle, like name this tune or whatever, just something to get them going. And that's just one example. Like we would do a paper football, you know, they're kickers. So I thought that was a good idea, but just something to get those juices flowing before they get out on the field. Um, whether it's heads up the game or, or uh, you know, I'm not going to give away all of our tactics, but but we like to do something competitive uh, before we get out there. And so starting there, and then when you get on the field, you know, there's always things you can do, big ball, uh, accuracy, you know, snappers can do laces. That's something since I even got here, Winston Chapman would end every single day with a laces competition, field well snaps. Uh, who can get the most in a row? And uh, – you know, punters, it's it's big ball. It's kickers, it's uh, horse, you know, whatever they want to play. But, yeah, everything's got to be competitive uh, in some way. Man, I love that. And that's – yeah. Uh, Listening to all those things, I want to be a part of uh, your, your specialist room, man. I want to be – that makes me, you know, want to be yeah. able to compete and, and even something as silly, you know, as a, a song competition or something like that. That's good. Yeah. Stuff. 
that's that's cool and i'd love to see those charts too i do remember uh the long snapping one yeah it looked like pretty intense do the it's long intense, yeah. themselves chart uh nah, I'm, a, I'm gonna chart everything on the field and then on tape uh we gotta luckily we have uh, a couple ground cameras which i know a lot of people who if you don't have you know access to a ground camera um you can do your best to get it on tape after practice or you know during punt let's say it's team punt you know i have my kickers they're doing the charting whether it's location or hang time or we don't do ever do distance you can't get that on the field um, but everything from uh, handle time op time hang time and then usually you have more than, more than one kickers other kicker he can get you know accuracy for the snapper snap time but a lot of those things you can get after the fact but if you can somehow invest in either you getting you know a really good phone case with a battery in it or buy yourself a ground cam like the ground camera works wonders man you can do so much stuff with it and even during team period it's another angle they get to see and it's great and, uh, it allows you really to chart everything for sure that's so important man i think and yeah especially you guys are blessed with those those resources that was pretty cool definitely, but definitely, I, yeah. I, now you got to use them though like if you're giving them you better put them to work Absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, that's that's some great stuff on long snapping. And now I know we spent a lot of time on that, but that's kind of a natural lead into punt and what you guys uh, like to do with punt. You know, I'm I'm a big two man shield guy. You know, that's yeah. how I've I've always at UT Martin. We use something like that where we go three man, but two man. Um, I liked you know the the coverage aspect that allows you allows you to have more athletes on the field. Tell me a little bit about what you like as far as punt formations personally and what you like to get into. Yeah, personally, um, you know, I came up in a two-man shield system that was uh, straight line. So by straight line, I'm snapping directly straight behind uh, two shields that are split. Um, so that's really kind of all I knew. And at the time, it was majority three-man shield with big old linemen back there. But we were a two-man shield with more athletic DN, tight end bodies. Um, and I was just intrigued by it. We had at least three gunners out there every single time due to the fact it was a two-man shield. And um, even if we didn't have the best punter in the league, you know, we were always up there with net punt because we could either force fair catches or get guys down there quick. And so I'm a big advocate for it. Um, you know, I work on a staff that's, that's advocates for the air raid. You know, they do like air raid certified and classes and stuff. Like I'd love to one day get people on this two-man shield train. I know a lot more people are doing it, but, but I think everybody should do it. I love it. You know, it's it gives you so many, so many um, advantages as long as you can coach the heck out of it and have the right guys for it. Um, but I'm a big two-man shield advocate for sure, just based on, you know, the, the coverage ability it gives you, uh, the mismatches that it can give you in coverage, and, you know, it discourages people from rushing, I think. So – putting that extra gunner out there, at least, you know, you get one extra one than usual. And then if you start doing things where you flex your tackle, you know, where you just put the, uh, we call them an adjuster out there wide, then you force guys to, to have mismatches. So, you know, most people will get into a little bit of scheme here, right? Punt return, a lot of people label it as L1, L2, L3, L4. All right. Hey, my L4, you're usually on the guard. L3, you're usually on the tackle. L2, you're on you know, the, you're an edge guy, right, or a forcer or whatever. But say, you know, we come out with a formation, two-man shield. Now your L3 is flexed out 
you know, and what you think's a tackle, but is actually a gunner. And so, boom, that guy's already way more athletic than that kid because you make usually a linebacker or um, a bigger safety. But, but I finally saw. I didn't understand why two man shield was so good until I was a coach, and now I'm seeing like, dang, you can do one little tweak in your formation, and it's going to force them to put their L four, who's, you know, a, a a big body linebacker out on a really fast corner or something. So there's just so many I could get into. We could talk for days, but um, yeah, it keeps people, you know, you, you make sure they, they're sound, you know, it lets you know if they're sound, um, you know, it keeps them honest as far as bringing two forces, two forcers, I, I believe. Uh, there's God. There's so many things about it that are good, but yeah, I just love the mismatches it creates. Yeah, no, you're you're hitting on it right on. Yeah, I was going to talk about this later, but you know, we both when I was down there in Starfield, we were both talking about our love for different formations. You know, uh, yeah. Personally, me when I was in the OBC, uh, Murray State uh, under Jake Johnson, who's now the EKU DC. You know, he loved to get in all these different crazy formations. You know, they'd have three gunners out here. Oh yeah, uh, or they, you know. Have, you know, unbalanced formations where you got like a guard on this side and then like five guys over here, you know, or a yeah. shield where it was like a, a, a line, you know. And I'm looking at – we're playing Murray this week and Coach Bowman, who's now a past game DC at uh, Austin P. I'm talking to him about it. I'm like, man, they got a formation where there's two punters back there. They got a tight end. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. I'm like, how, how are we going to play this this week? He goes, man, <laughs> we're just going to make sure all the eligibles are lined up. Yeah, we're just going to cover them up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so what it does is it takes the teeth out of these punt block teams, especially teams that are known to, you know, come after punts. Uh, we were talking about Arkansas State, remember, who did a ton of stuff with their different formations. Yeah, that, yeah. Have you looked at it as far as a uh, protection aspect? Does that change any rules in protection for them? Uh, no, that's the beauty of it. Like you said, man, it makes coordinators just say, all right, look, we're just going to cover them up. We're going to make sure we don't get hit with a fake because – you, you put one guy off and then now, now the whole thing changes. You know what I'm saying? You take a guard off the ball and now it's all all changed. And then, you know, they're telling one guy, hey, you cover the, the adjuster this week. Well, now he don't even know who the adjuster is because you tell him he's the guy off the ball. Well, shoot, now they got, you know, a guard off the ball. And then now this guy's out wide. And so, like you said, yeah, it, it forces them just to be sound and, and not be aggressive. Um, uh what was the question again? Well, you're leading me into the next one, too, is, is uh, when you guys, you know, there's a lot of good clinic talk for um, oh, yeah. when people yeah. are talking their man side protection and their zone. Yeah, yeah, protection. protection. I got you. Yeah. What, do you what do you like to, you know, I know that's kind of cliche and stuff, but it really does stick in the players' heads. What yeah. do you like to say for your man side and zone side protection? Yeah, so, um, you know, the biggest thing we did at state in 2018-19 was uh, simplify protection to a, a huge extent. And the best thing about it, and I won't get into the exact specifics of it because I, I would like to keep doing the, a similar scheme maybe later on, but uh, what it did was it made our, our players not think as much and they were able to just play fast and make decisions. And um, no matter what formation we got in, we were able to keep our protection the exact same. All right, and then, you know, week eight, we have gotten in 14 formations or so at this point. Um, every single one of them had the same check. So, 
if they gave us this, then boom, we're just checking back to this. And it was just the same exact thing we had done day two of punt in camp, you know, this check. So it was very, very simple. And I will, I will give away one thing though, that, that turned into man side zone side protection, right? Most people do, um, especially with two man shield. Um, we were able to kind of make them both the, the very exact same thing uh, as far as steps and uh, hand placement, all that stuff, uh, just because of how we protected. But what it did was it, it took away that thing that most people on punt returns say, hey, run, run over his heels. Like if they're coming for the block, hey, run where he was, right? Replace his steps. Uh, so if a guy's trying to zone block and he like really dips down hard, turns his shoulder, tries to come across you in the A gap, a lot of guys punt return when they scheme you up is, hey, He's going to really cry across your face hard, just replace his steps and run right over his heels. And so what we did was we changed how we zone block. It wasn't a zone, zone off protection. It was mainly almost like a man protection. So you can't let anybody get in this gap. All right. So if that means just shuffling in and cutting them off, that was the whole main point of it. Just cut off this gap. Um, you know, it, so we got away from turning our shoulders and just running to, hey, keep your freaking chest, like keep your sh shoulders square and make sure nobody gets into that gap. And so it kind of, it was very, very similar to man blocking is what it turned into. So now we're, we're both doing the same thing on each side. And so it kept people from saying, this is their zone side, this is their man side. And uh, made it really, really simple for our players. Yeah, that is huge. Yeah. Cause that, and, and that's, what teams, you know, if I'm looking at film, I'm looking at which side is the zone side. That way we can see, yeah. you know, yeah. just like you said, stepping over, replacing his feet, or some some coaches will say step right on his crotch, you know, because yeah. he'll be going yeah. down. And that, well, coach, what happens when he, he doesn't run down and he just shocks me in the chest, which is what we were doing. So we were able to get away from a lot of that. Yeah. You know, rushing from the zone side. Yeah, I love that. And then that's that's cool too because – uh, you know, I think it's very interesting. Different teams have different perspectives on their adjuster wing. You know, yeah. they're going to place him and stuff. Like, for example, you guys would last year, you'd have a lot of uh, your adjuster wing on the backside. Why did you guys like going, you know, what or what changed either way, putting him on the backside or the front side? Yeah, so keeping him on the backside, what it did was widen that edge. That's, that's the main reason for it, simple as that. So keep that guy that's rushing from the backside edge as far away from the punter as possible. Um, we were an offset punt team. And so the only real threat we had was a guy coming from the backside. And, you know, being offset, we were already two yards farther than, than a normal punt team. And so it just kind of made it safe and it allowed that adjuster wing to get out in coverage sooner. Um, because he was a yard off the ball, you know, all he had to do was give that guy a punch, run through his shoulder, whatever we wanted him to do that week and get out in coverage. And so – yeah, would guys or would teams like overload the front side then and try to, you know, guess which side the front side was because you guys had less numbers there? Yeah, so uh, we gave it away pretty quickly what side our front side was because the shields would align to it. Um, but, man, still, even even doing that, we, we didn't see much pressure at all. Uh, people would rush, but by pressure, I mean, we didn't get, you know, the get near the punt getting blocked many times, maybe two or three in two years. And so, uh, yeah, it would give it away. And so a lot of times people, rather than bringing their force guys from either side of the, the formation, 
you know, most guys force with two guys coming from each side. People would begin to put two guys on that that side of the shield. So now they're getting two guys to the shield, uh, and that was their answer because it was pointless to bring two guys like this. From And teams would still do it, and that guy's way – I mean, he's 15 yards away from everything. So um, smart teams were, were beginning to put both of those forcers on one side and bring them both. Uh, but, man, it was, I mean, it's a solid protection scheme. Uh, anyway, you try to come after it. And so we saw just about everything in two years, I would say. Yeah, and, you know, I think another good thing you guys did was you moved the block point. I'm just talking about yeah, that for sure. offset. You know, that that teams have to respect where the ball's at. You yeah. Know, but also, if you can hit some roll or some rugby, that was my big yeah. thing. You know, at UTM, I was on a Jordan Hankins with it at Marshall and, and you know that's one thing he does uh, such a good job of is you know moving the block point you know teams see that on film they, but they still have to figure out where that ball or the punch yeah. where that's going to be at definitely so, yeah that's that's huge what changes for the long snapper when you move uh you know the punts yeah no, I was worried about that for sure coming into it um the only thing they got to do is adjust their feet it's still just a straight snap um, now, the, the one thing that helped out Paul and Joel was uh, looking between their legs more than they usually did pre-snap, which every snapper needs to do, first of all, find a target uh, before you snap. But definitely, like, they, the alignment was major, was key, because it's an offset snap. Um, but wasn't really an offset snap. They were just snapping the ball straight back, but they were moving their feet, if that makes sense. And we never saw issues with referees – uh, in our league, so I mean, it, it was fine. Why are refs supposed to like get on that or like? Yeah, like having one foot back farther than the other apparently was some issue. Well, they thought it was gonna be an issue, but we never got any. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say anything. And then you know, you think about having helmet on the the belt line with the guards and tackles. That never was an issue either, and so ended up working out. Does it change the distance? Like, if you guys move, you know, normally you'd be whatever. At, say you're at fifteen. You know, yeah, like great back snap. Would you guys move the punter up a little bit because it's now a little bit farther because it's at an angle? Do you know? What yeah, it depended on the the the. I'm sorry, depended on the call. Um, just because punters, you know, historically going left is difficult for them, yeah. and you know when we were going left, people can see on film our punter was a little wider. It's just because it made it an easier angle for him to walk. And so, uh, no, nah, the, the distance was the same. I was pretty skeptical about it, so I got a tape measure out there. And, I mean, because I, I was like, Coach, these guys are snapping at 15.3 yards, I promise you. Like, that's why it's a, a .74, you know, whatever. Like, I promise you we're not snapping it slow. And uh, it was maybe, like I said, a half a yard longer than normal. But, um, you know, worked out for us. Would you rather have it blocked or have it snap a little longer than – than usual so no doubt I know there's been a big uh, or there's always a big discussion you know for field goal for long snappers of having the laces up is is that partly their job too on a punt snap or what do you, what do you tell your guys as far uh, that'd be great I mean that'd be really good but a lot of a lot of that you can help with uh, jug work with the punters of uh, man dude don't punt the laces obviously and so you know get them really good with their hands um, our, you know, our guy had that great operation time. I mean, we averaged, it was point, 
or 1.97 ish, which is freaking fast. And so a lot of times he would just catch and, and kick and a couple times hit the laces, uh, not in games, but in practice. And so, no, I never put that on Paul to get, to get him a, a good laces on punt field goal. Absolutely. But I think jug work helped out Tuck with handling the ball and, and just not punting laces, man. Just work on, uh, you know, giving yourself a good surface to hit. Yeah, that's that's on the punter really to make sure he's getting like you know a good inside panel to make connection with. I'm yeah. gone, I'm gone over for it, and this is something I've thought about you know a lot in my head. I haven't really talked about it with anyone, but it's like you know a bad ball drill. Just like Dougal, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, when sometimes you're going to get in a spot where you have to hit uh, laces yeah. at you. And for a kicker, it was cool. David Akers talked about this on the fourth down experience. Is like uh, that doesn't change anything as far as a flight of the ball. The only thing it does is it allows the, the ball is not going to compress as much as it would mm. with the laces facing facing away. So as long as I'm not at 55 or 60 yards, exactly. yeah. I should still make that kick, right? Because I should yeah. still have the leg strength. As far as a punter, and I used to do this drill, like, with my brother, I was wondering, like, I don't know if, uh, you know, as long as the laces, I'm not making contact with the actual laces themselves, can I still hit that, you know? I don't know. That's something that I think I'm going to have to do some, you know, work with my guys and see. But, you know, normally they should be good enough with their hands where they can get that ball to the spot. Oh, yeah. Without yeah. hitting the laces. Now, I will go back and say um, I was able to – work with Mike McCabe one weekend, man, it was great. I learned so much in just a matter of two days, but uh, in the NFL, they actually do get their snappers to get those laces, either a half a turn or a quarter turn strictly by where they put the punter. So he was telling um, Corliss, who is actually, he's going to go play for the Steelers. Uh, he didn't get to play for us last season do some eligibility stuff. He had actually exhausted his last year at South Alabama and he grad transferred here. And um, we weren't able to get him uh, to play. But he, he hung around, helped me out a ton, um, punted balls for it. Yeah, he's awesome. Love that kid to death. But Mike was teaching him to either, like, where to catch the ball out in front of him. You know, have the hills at the same spot, but uh, where to catch it to allow those laces to be up or to the side. And then he even told him to, to scooch back a couple inches with his feet, whether he's at 15 yards and, and five inches or or 14 and a half yards uh but but i guess at that level yeah they do tell those snappers uh figure out you know where you can get that ball half a turn or, or straight up uh, so that's funny that i just thought about that but he was teaching that for sure yeah it's so i think right. that's also on the punters where he catches it can be consistent every single time out in front or in your body or whatever right man that's uh, yeah it's an art man it's an art yeah. being able to put that those laces up all right, good. That's we've we've gone over a ton of punt stuff in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm very happy about that. Now talk to me real quick about your guys' kickoff because that was something I'd never seen before. And maybe it was because we didn't have a whole lot of time to really get into it. And yeah, but but you know, briefly kind of go through your guys' uh kickoff that you get guys did last year. Yeah, so uh you know, I'm gonna ask you just to make sure we're talking about the same thing. I think I went over with you the landmark kickoff scheme. Yes. Okay, we'll go over that. And that's something that, um, you know, I got into it with – this was a, a Coach Mullen back to a Coach Herbie Meyer scheme, I believe. Uh, 
that they all took with them to Mississippi State. And so when I started student coaching, it's just all I knew. I didn't know anything else besides this coverage scheme. And and I'll give it to Coach Mullen, man, since 2009 or so since he got here, Mississippi State has been top 20 in kickoff every single year. Doesn't matter how good our kicker is or not. It's just I think this scheme is just bulletproof, and I think it's uh, it lets you, the coach, do a lot of things to exploit the return team. And so um, I liked it a lot. We ran it in 2018, did some different stuff in 2019. But uh, so I think it's an interesting scheme. You know, it's it's the basics of it are everybody has a landmark that you end up at, all right? But week to week, we can line you up in different areas, but you still get to that same landmark, which I thought was a, a pretty cool idea. Um, now, one thing I, I think you can develop it into is getting more aggressive at your landmark. So rather than just holding that point and two gapping and trying to see the returner, just be more aggressive once you get to your landmark. But uh, simply just aligning in different spots and then looping or twisting or falling out to your alignment can screw up a return team uh, majorly just by the yard line that you do it on. So it's just it's beautiful how it works out. Just, you know, you, you think of this scheme in 20 minutes and a return team is going to have to spend two days on it because it's just so complex with how it works out. But to the players, it's super simple. All right, I'm aligning here, but I'm going to my same spot that I always do. And so, uh, I mean, don't matter how good of a, a kickoff return team you are, you can't plan for your tackle to make the block at like the 20-yard line. You know, it's just not part of your scheme. Like you can't bet on that guy looping because then, you know, week to week we'll change guys', guys job plans and just screw you completely up. So it was a really good deal. Like, you know, if I'm a, a kick side safety every single time uh, and I end up between one and two, you know, five yards behind them, just like I'm supposed to do every week, mid-game you can say, hey, you and the one are changing jobs. All right. So now I go do what the one does. The one does what I do. And that just, I mean, that guy could end up free, you know, very, very easily. So I, I love the landmark uh, kickoff scheme. I think it's pretty – diverse with like uh, weekly and in-game in-game you can change it up too pretty cool that pretty is cool. awesome I think yeah that in-game part of it is like you know so because obviously what teams focus on the most is kickoff and punt you know you yeah, don't definitely hurt in any of those situations is there a time where you guys made a in-game adjustment and it just killed another team oh yeah we made a, a bunch of them in 2018 uh, on kickoff alone of uh, finding out, you know, hey, they're doubling this guy instead of this guy like we thought. And then the beauty of that landmark coverage scheme was that it was so simple that you could make a change that you never even practiced that week, and the players get it immediately. Okay, yes, sir. And they go out there and they freaking play 100 miles an hour and, and dominate it. And so, yeah, there's a couple instances where we, uh, you know, we, we could tell they were identifying a jersey, right, and change those jobs you know, descriptions real quick, not description, but those two guys' jobs switched it around real quick and just ate them up, man. Uh, they were blocked. They were double teaming a safety, and we got one guy screaming down unblocked and just smokes the returner at the 10-yard line. So something that, you know, took us two minutes to come up with, I mean, it, that's a game changer. You tackle it inside the 15, that's a, that's a game record for sure. Yeah, and I think that's what, you know, uh, I don't know, sets coaches apart is like, the be the ability to be fluid, you know, from yeah, for sure, and make adjustments in game. That's huge. Or to have a scheme that allows you to do that 
Yeah. So important, man. Yeah, and I think that all came with how many people we have on special teams. We had a coordinator, we had me, and then we had a senior consultant. So that's three guys that in a game are able to bounce ideas off each other, draw everything up to a T, and uh, make suggestions. And a lot of teams don't have that. You know, that's kind of an NFL model of having three guys on the, on special teams. I think it works out really well. I wish more colleges would do it. Uh, it opened up more jobs for people, but I think it's very, very useful on game days having that many eyes. And then if you can get one of those guys in the box, that's a game changer. Because uh, usually you're relying on, you know, offensive GA or, or um, you know, tight ends coach to help you out up there or running backs coach when they got other things to deal with. But, you know, Heck it yeah. was big You time. know, and it made me think about this too. Uh, coach Lustig was on, he's from Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. And he's on, he was on one of the team's talks and he was talking about, uh, responsibilities of, of people they use on special teams. And he actually had a specialist uh, watching teams, you know, non, non-starters watching the kickoff units and seeing what, you know, certain guys were doing and reporting back to him and allowing him to make in-game adjustments like that. I thought that was oh, cool. Yeah. What, did, what, did, what do they have you do uh, in-game? What's your in-game responsibilities? Oh, man, well, it, I was – I'd say it changed every every week. Uh, I will tell you, yes, we had specialists that, that saved me a lot of trouble, uh, and, and they got fired up to do it, man. I had one guy on the clock every game, and he loved doing it. And then uh, I had two guys uh, watching stuff on kickoff and watching stuff on their punt return. So that that was able to help me out a ton. And, I, and they wanted to do – that's the greatest thing is if you can get a specialist to buy in and realize, like, look, man, I know you just kicked, but but you gotta love special teams. And by that I mean what's our what's our game plan this week? Like what's this return what how's their return? You know, what are we gonna do against their kickoff? Like they were all all of them wanted to help. And I was able to go through a game plan, made me better as a coach, and then, you know, teach them on game day, like this is what we need. I need this from you. I'm dependent on you. And even though they weren't out there snapping or kicking, they had a job that game and they were fired up to do it. And uh, so but but my game day responsibilities, um, Coach Jones, I'm so grateful that, for that guy, man. He he trusted me with a whole lot. And, uh, man, I was able to uh, – my biggest responsibility, I'd say, was drawing up the scheme uh, and checking their personnel. And I think I had a pretty good system. Um, I would get every single position drawn up and what they're doing just based on – kind of the, the things I was asking other guys to watch and my ability to watch from the sideline. Um, I think just from the amount of tape I was able to, to watch, because, I mean, I'm just special teams, man. That's all I do. Uh, I was able to kind of teach myself, all right, on game day, like what can I see from these guys in one look? You know, whether it's uh, their gunners or, or the R1 through R5 on kickoff. Like, can I watch that entire thing? you know, have an idea of what they're doing so that I can actually see it as a full picture. Um, so, yeah, that was my main role was to uh, get their personnel, draw up exactly what they're doing uh, so that we can make an adjustment, and then personnel, so so substitutions, which is a freaking animal in itself for sure. So, I bet, man, but that's so yeah. that's so helpful to the team. So that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a huge part, and that's kind of exciting, man. No doubt. Well, that's awesome, dude. We covered so much here, and shoot, almost two hours, I'd say. But um, 
that was that was some good stuff, man. Is there anything else that you wanted to go over or talk about? You you already uh, helped so much. I know there's gonna be coaches and specialists that listen to this. And yeah, yeah, I got I got one more thing, man. Uh, talking about situations during the week to yep. put your specialist in to kind of make the game easy for them. Um, one big thing that I think we do that puts us apart from people is uh, every day of the week has an emphasis. So. Um, you know, we go over the script every day, just like every other specialist group out there. But before they leave, they're going to know the emphasis. So if it's if it's a Tuesday, right, and this isn't accurate, but we'll just give an example. All right, Tuesday, punters, today you are a backed up. Like after we get our punt script and our team punt, whatever. All right, today you are working on backed up and you're working on heavy rush. All right, so whatever you got to do, you got to get the equipment guys to rush you from from this side or from the backside or, you know, our third string snapper, whatever. Today you you freaking work on backed up punt. All right, once you're done with that, get you some some high pressure rush situation punts where you got to get it out. Um, so they're able to hit that, you know, during the week. And then, you know, that same day snappers, all right, after you get everything, you know, and you've done field goal and punt, uh, let's work on muffed returns right so do I you know is it country ball or city ball you know uh, I did I allow him to make the fair cut little things that that can come up in a game all right and then kickers you know it's it's an all delay dates so whether it's hey they're reviewing the touchdown or uh, we got delay a game there's only 10 guys in the field or uh, you know kickoff guy there there's something wrong with the clock so you gotta wait take your steps again or whatever so that it's Tuesday for them, so they know exactly what they're working. Um, they knock it out early, and then, you know, the next day is going to have another emphasis for every position. I thought it was huge. And then um, by Thursday, we did this thing called Mock Game, which came from Adam Shire, uh, which I've got. I could spend a whole show talking about that guy. But but he brought up this thing, and it's, it's a Mock Game. It's all it is. And so uh, after we do everything team-wise – uh, it's a it's a little script, and it's got everything from first quarter all the way to overtime. And it's probably, you know, I'd say total 15 reps. You know, kickoff, punt, fill everything together. But you play it. You play a game. You're on the sideline. I give the exact situation. Hey, we're down 3-0. All right, offense is driving. All right, it's 8:49 left in the first. All right, it's uh, right now it's second and 18. All right, now we got third and four. You know, we get a sack. All right, let's go field goal. We're, but we'll go through the whole thing of a field goal alert. Like, I'll yell that out, and then they'll stand by me. I'll give the situation, boom. We got an equipment guy out there spotting the ball, and they run out there, do the rep. I'm timing everything. And then, you know, so they make it, then it's kickoff. All right, Scott, you know, it's uh, we're 3-3. Three, three. I need a touchback here. Or, hey, hang this thing up there, just like it would be in a real game. And so we go through an entire game. And we always win. We always win in overtime with a field goal. But, you know, it's cool. We play the game before it happens. So, like, before we play LSU, all right, this is our mock game versus LSU. And so, you know, punt. Every, every situation is covered, like a weird situation, whatever it is. And so uh, our guys loved it. I mean, they, they, they were fired up about it. They made some funny comments, you know, about, you know, in-game situations. Like, Coach, cheerleader, uh, twist your ankle over there. But, like, it was good. We were able to get all this stuff in, and it made my job so easy. Uh, and all I would do is just tweak it every week and print it off and gave free 
copies to equipment guys so they could spot, you know, the backup kickers so they could, you know, time some stuff for me. But it, it was major. It's really major. And I love that. Um, did you do 15 total or was it like the punters had 15 reps? No, nah, man, it was 15 total. Punter may have three reps. Kickers may have, you know, two, you know, four kickoffs. Like I changed the score, obviously, a lot of times. But it was never more than 15 total. Yeah. Because you don't want to hit a whole bunch on Thursday. Yeah, and then, you know, Coach Brock, talking to him, he wants to to um, make it better and make it more of a mental game, too, uh, on top of it. So I, I think we're going to make this thing really, really good. And I think it's something everybody out there should consider doing. Man, I love yeah. that so much. Yeah, whenever you can put your guys – and here's the biggest thing I teach my kickers is, like, I want you the night before – uh, you know, what I would do is I'd meditate or, I'd, you know, listen to something. But I'm, I'm thinking about the game. So, for example, before we played Ole Miss, that was the one SEC game I played in. I never played an SEC opponent in my life. And now we're going in as my senior year. It's like second game of my senior year. And I'm like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going through it mentally. Like, I'm trying yeah. to prepare. But I'm seeing myself walking. I know you don't like hearing about the team up north. But I'm seeing yeah. myself walk into the locker room. I'm seeing myself tie up my cleats. I'm seeing they're wearing white jerseys with gray pants and that ugly powder blue uh, yes. helmet, you know. I'm seeing myself uh, hit a 44-yard punt, uh, yeah. A.J. Brown to zero return yards. Uh, I'm seeing one of my punts get partially blocked, but then I come back and I answer. That's what you guys are doing the day before in practice. Yeah. That's no all. Doubt. And that's what I'd love to hear more from you from is getting a – yeah, like a, a Friday ritual. And something I'm always trying to work on uh, is, is game day stuff too. So, I mean, we can all get better. Uh, there's things I'm learning every single year, and I'm probably going to have to come to you for some of that stuff for sure, get get my guys right. Uh, you know, but everybody's different. That's the beauty of it. And I, that's why I couldn't give you an exact uh, recipe for snapping. It's because every snapper is different. Uh, that's what I got to do is take what they do best and and make it – better if I can I can't you can't teach every snapper the exact same way it's just part of it oh I'm 100% with you man but I think you did a a great job of, of listing the fundamentals you know it's just like golf where I believe you know you're right everyone's different all all the kickers and punters are different but there's a general fundamentals you could always fall back on you know to help coach your guys up and I think you you did a fantastic job of talking about it man but uh sweet yeah, man, that was that's that's awesome. Um, you know, plug plug yourself. What you, what do you got going? You know, obviously the season's coming up, but uh, what what do you got going on for yourself here, coming up? Anything? Oh shoot, man. Uh, let's see. I tried Call of Duty, sucked at it. Um, did some cooking, got real good at that. Let's see. Might pick up an instrument. Who knows? Uh, Playing a lot of golf. What was your go-to cooking wise? What were you chefing up? Oh man. Uh, I got really good at fried rice, man, like uh, chicken fried rice, shrimp fried rice. It's an art. But the beauty of it is whatever the heck you got in your fridge can be fried rice. I mean, it could be that gum tuna fried rice. And so uh, it's an art form for sure. But I think I got it down pat. Uh, playing a lot of golf, you know, getting not much better at that, but better at masking my emotions during it for sure. Let's see what else uh, – I'm not fired up to get back in the office on Monday. You know, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully be able to meet with some kids in person soon just to get back. You know, I'm sick of Zooming players. I think everybody is. 
but yeah, it'd be good just to get, get some some normalcy, you know, going. Oh, uh, but man, I don't know. Just kind of figuring it out day by day. Oh, uh, got my Nintendo 64 back up here, so we'll be playing some Mario Kart. There we go, man. That's yeah. awesome to hear. And uh, yeah, you got so much good stuff going on, and I'll definitely be, um, you know, pulling for you guys uh, this year, especially. Oh, no doubt. With all the crazy stuff going on, I. Uh, oh yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what uh, happens there. Sorry, I got the thing started. The outro. Yeah, I do have yeah. a little, little outro nah, thing. I'll be pulling for the herd too, man. You're gonna do a great job. Hey, I, guys, right? How many uh, specials you got? Uh, about one quarter of what you guys have. Sweet. No, we, we have. Okay, so uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we have about, I think, eight uh, that are gonna be in for fall Solid number seven. But yeah, well, I got some. We got some exciting young guys in here and and some old leadership too so yeah well i know it's the anniversary of the the plane crash coming up this year right i hope they do like a college game day or something yes that's right. sign that petition huh i know it's I, i'm definitely day. on it man matthew mcconaughey you know first first movie i saw with him ever was that movie so the funny thing about that too man is uh you know so i was a high school teacher until about march 1st you know and uh i'm telling my class we're in the 1920s great gatsby uh, so Ooh. I said, all right, you can either watch the movie The Great Gatsby, all right, or you can watch this, which happened in 1970, uh, We Are Marshall movie. And they're like, well, what happens in We Are Marshall? And I'm like, well, it's a great story about tradition. You know, it was like one of my favorite college football movies. Yeah. Uh, and I said, and, you know, uh, they they re, they rise the program. They, they come together as a town, as a city. And they're all like, every single class was like, that one. So I saw that movie probably seven times again. Foreshadowing. Like, first hour yeah and i was like the 50th anniversary uh and same thing we're going to east carolina and stuff so yeah i'm ecstatic about that man it's gonna be fun that's cool man well you deserve it you've worked your butt off and i'm happy to see you you know in your in your element for sure i appreciate that man and coach tucker it's always a great time when we get to link up man to me you are one of the great uh young minds and special teams at the power five level and it's only a matter of time before you get a uh, coordinator role so i'm just glad oh, much that, respect man that we get to chop it up man and and you know you're a blessing keep doing what you're doing man no doubt you are too man hey keep uh keep doing this freaking podcast man you're killing it all right this is awesome you know i know it's helped me out for sure as a young guy and, and man it, it's all good things heading for you in oh, the future. I, I appreciate that man we'll definitely hey we'll probably have to have you on for a part two man you just do it first time so All right, Coach Tucker, I appreciate that. Uh, To our listeners, don't forget to purchase our book, all right, The Kicker's Bible. It's at icemankicking.com. Coach, where can they follow you if they have any questions to uh, ask you? Yeah, uh, Twitter. I got a pretty pretty catchy Twitter handle. It's at Teams Coach Tuck. You know, I kind of figured I wouldn't coach anything else except special teams, and so – we're going to let that one stick. So Twitter is at Teams Coach Tuck. Instagram is Alan Tucker 69 Before you judge, that was my number in college. Uh, it was given to me gracefully. Um, when I showed up in my locker, there it was, 69 Tucker. And I think it was a, kind of a Jared Allen thing as a DN. So, uh, yeah, those are the two deals you can get me at there. And then email, you know, I still do that. It's Tucker 11 at gmail.com. So uh, that's where you can get me. Love that, man. You got a LinkedIn? You got a MySpace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do MySpace. (laughs) Awesome, man.
Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions you'd like asked or select guests coming up, follow and send us a message on Twitter and Instagram to Iceman underscore kicking or IcemanKicking at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us and turn notifications on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Iceman Kicking Podcast and rate and review us on Apple Music. This will be important as we will have giveaways going forward. Also, check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips from these interviews. And tune in next week for another great special teams mind. I'm Brett Arkellian, and for everyone at the Iceman Kicking Podcast, we hope you stay cool under pressure. Have a great week.